Who is your like favorite horror movie big bad evil guy? Pyramid Head. Not actually a movie. I guess it's a movie. It's a movie now, but that's a video game world. But... Okay. All right. Silent I'll... Hill? I'll, yeah. I'll yes. come up with a different answer. I fucking love Pyramid Head, but I'll come up with another answer. Pyramid Head is actually is my favorite too. But again, it's a it's like it's like a I've talked about Pyramid Head on the podcast before as if it was a movie and or like genre, but it's it's definitely more video game esque, but that's fine. I accept oh. it. I'm thinking more like like my mine's Freddy because like oh. the wor- world of dreams. That makes sense to me. Like yeah, okay. fucking love it. I, I have a love-hate relationship with Freddy Krueger because he's the one that that introduced the world to the wisecracking horror villain. And then we saw what that did to like Leprechaun and like it, it, there were just a lot of really shitty movies in the 80s and 90s where the bad guy had to kill you and then make a pun. And we can thank Freddy Krueger for that. Yeah. <laughs> and most big bad evil guy punnage <laughs> comes from this, this asshole. <laughs> yeah. Wait, who? Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger. No, but who uh, comes from Freddy Krueger? Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street. That series. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like that he murders you in your dreams and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, the razor blade fingers and stuff. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, I I don't know if I would consider it my favorite, but it's the one that has definitely stuck with me the longest. Is the Cenobites? I was about from... to say that you stole mine. They're so weird. They're so creepy. Yeah. So creepy. Um, let me see. My backup would have to be Captain Spaulding then from House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you know, you know. Just yeah. creepy. <laughs> just, he's just having too much freaking fun. Yeah. I kind of like Candyman too, you know, with the bees. <laughs> At least it's not the Wicker Man with the bees and we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So many bees. Lungs to bees. Ugh. I got like a cold shiver thinking about all of that. Yeah, someone together. stepped on your grave. Yeah, Sorry, I, I forgot I have to clarify this because people always ask. Someone stepped on your future grave. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, no, no. I've got them all dug up in the backyard for the whole group of you. Just mm. the day that you miss a recording, poof, there you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, Lordy. Well, everybody, all our faithful listeners, if you see us disappear from this podcast all of a sudden, you now know where to find us. Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode, where we continue our conversation on monsters in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I'm Kyle, and with me today are Adam and Megan, and this episode is called Fiendish Overlords, How to Overwhelm Your From Underrealms. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to sharpen our sacrificial daggers, dust off our desecrated altars, and open some windows into hellscapes from other planes as we explore the biggest, baddest fiends from Eberron and Ravnica. Before we start to pull at the threads of our precarious sanities, though, I want to ask you, what scares you more? The idea of hellish possession like in The Exorcist or actual demons and devils walking around the earth like superpowered hell monsters? Let's, uh, let's roll initiative. Yeah. But 12. I also got a 12. Roll off, Megan. All right. Eight. Trey. Kyle, what's scarier, possession or actual monster? Actual demons. Duh. I mean, possession is like way more palatable to me than, you know, having something that could, you know, flay my skin with the snap of a finger or actually eat me. Whereas demon possession, I gain a whole bunch of cool new powers. (laughs) 
and I get free reign and nobody can blame me for the stuff I do. Sorry, I didn't mean to fuck up your house. I was possessed. I feel like you fundamentally misunderstand how possession works. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. You you are no longer cognizant of what you are and who you are. (laughs) You are gone. (laughs) Your your entire sanity is pulled apart at the strings. Uh, And do you guys, have you read the book... um, uh, I have no mouth, but I must scream. Hi, everyone. Just a quick editor's note, a little correction here, because what I was referencing, I have no mouth and I must scream, is a phenomenal book by Harlan Ellison that I read a long, long time ago. What I'm actually referencing is a different book called Johnny Got His Gun, which was written by Dalton Trumbo. Both of these books were really important to me when I was a teenager, and I just got their names all fucked up on this. So, sorry. Also, Johnny Got His Gun was the source of inspiration for the Metallica music video for for their song One. Anyway, let's get back to the episode. No, but I feel like I don't want to. It is the story of someone who uh, has had this horrible accident, and uh, they don't have any of their senses or their arms and legs left. The only thing they have left is the sense of touch. And they are left alone, alive, in their own mind. Slowly going crazy, unable to communicate with the outside world, to see, hear, smell, taste, or manipulate arms and legs and have any movement. And it is one of the most haunting things that I've ever read. That's what I expect possession is like. Except you add, like, insanity and pain on top of that. Yeah. It's like an entrapment and engagement of the mind. (laughs) interesting i don't want to read that so i guess i had like two ideas of what possession means one is that a devil comes in takes your body and shunts your soul to hell or the other idea is that it the demon comes in and basically pushes your consciousness to the back of your body and so you're just like looking out through a window at everything they're doing in your body and you are a helpless prisoner just standing there and going like no don't do that and like banging on a window but nobody can hear you yeah and that to me is more frightening than just actual demons walking the earth like the fact that you could be trapped in your brain watching yourself either murder hurt or destroy the life that you spent a lifelong time building only to discard your body when you when they're done with it and you die and then you go to the hellscape like that whole process just seems not ideal to me whereas and you're gonna hate this answer if there was demons on this earth i would befriend them in a heartbeat <laughs> hashtag slytherin um, yeah man <laughs> i honestly okay so i look at it like this it is more horrible to me to have to sit there and watch in theory through the eyes but i can't do anything about it i have no agency to watch the people i know and love and that i know trust me set themselves up for immediate destruction because they trust me because they don't know that i'm possessed also i always just assumed that there would be like if a a demon or a devil or whatnot comes into your mind and takes you over and whatnot i assume that there's a fraction of that that's facing inward that is also torturing you oh yeah like they're making fun of you and being like guess what i'm gonna do next and like or they're making you relive your worst memories or something right oh my god did you guys ever myself every night no (laughs) don't want to know what you do to yourself every night kyle um (laughs) it's my worst memory every night (laughs) every night did you guys ever what? see the the movie Cell? 
Yeah. Yeah. Like the inside the mind of like a murderer or whatever. Like yeah. it was the whole hellscape of navigating that process. Like that's what I imagine it would be like to be possessed is being in that world. Yeah, you're you're talking about the the Jennifer Lopez Vincent D'Onofrio one, and not the um not the John Cusack Samuel Jackson one about cell phone zombies. No, we're not talking okay. about cell phone zombies. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, this one is very much about. Uh, it was it takes place in the future. They have the ability to go into people's minds, and it's their way of therapizing. Is you can actually enter someone's mind and have a conversation with them, or see into their childhood, see what their memories look like, to find out what made them evil, basically. And so they do that. They go into the mind of a murderer to figure out if they can find like their victims and all this stuff and like navigate. And it was really cool because it did pull from a lot of like therapy and psychology themes to make like this hellscape make sense. Like it's very strange. Anyways, very good. If you've never seen it, see it. Like it's back. I think I still have it on VHS. Yeah. (laughs) Although I will say with the caveat, um, there's some gore. I saw this in theaters. I was slightly too young to have seen this in theaters. Yeah, man. We snuck in thinking, oh, cool, we're going to go see this movie. It's going to be awesome. And then they dissected a horse while it was still alive, but like into many, many, many cuts. And mm-hmm. then you could see all the bits and pieces moving. I was like, okay, I can't. All right, I'm done. That was, that was too much for like young teenager Adam. Yeah. Well, the whole process of the horse, I don't know if you've ever heard of like that psychology thing where someone will ask you like a picture, a cube. Yeah. There's now a horse where in retrospect of the horse is the horse where, and then they'll say other items and you have to say where in like relative placement is things to this cube. And then each time you play something, it's a representation of like, okay, well, if you place it on the left, it means this. If you place it on the, the top, it means this. And so like, they actually did that in that movie for this person. And so, like, anyways, I did a lot of, like, reading about it, but whatever. Like, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> I like crazy things. <laughs> okay, so, also, the thing about the demons being real and demon possession is one doesn't make the other mutually exclusive, right? Like, if there's demons on Earth, chances are there's also possession. 100%. So, like, yeah, that's fair. Yep. But then, uh, that's the thing, though, is like, what would you be scared of most? Would you be scared of that demon possessing you or just, like, chilling with them at a bar? I've read too many romance novels about demons. Yeah, so. I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel like you might be romanticizing them just a teensy bit. I will always romanticize my demons, Kyle. Don't even. Yeah. Didn't we, didn't we freaking do enough of this on the last episode? Oh, it's going to pop oh. off. Like. <laughs> <laughs> these, well. ones are, these ones are harder to romanticize. I will say that. So, um. <laughs> Spinning blades don't do it for you? It might not. Get out. Back to the Cenobites. Before we get any deeper into this, let's cut to a quick ad break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on monsters in 5th edition. For all of those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. If you would like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you would like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. Merry Christmas. This week on the It's a Mimic podcast, we're doing a double feature back-to-back episodes, episode 250 and episode 251. I figure there's a handful of you out there that are traveling over the holidays, and maybe you just need something to listen to, some familiar voices to keep you company. So... 
Not only are we doing a double feature, but patrons of Silver Tier and above are also getting a bonus episode today based on the fucking Kender. And I don't want to spend any more time talking about them. The rest of the week is going to be filled with additional episodes. There's at least one coming out every weekday in this holiday week, so check back regularly. And if you don't end up tuning in because you're off for a while, I hope that there's just a pack of stuff waiting for you when it's time to commute back to work or you get back into your gym schedule or whatever it is that you do when you're listening to podcasts. Anyways, have a happy holidays from everybody here at It's a Mimic. I hope you're able to find your cheer, to stay safe, and to feel appreciated. So we have each covered a single fiend over Ravnica and Eberron. Uh, so we are going to roll off to see who gets to go first. 15. 16. <gasps> oh, oh, I got an 18. I am on fire today. Whoops. I go last with a 15. There you go, yeah. Megan. Right. All right. So I got Radkos from Ravnica. So before I get into Radkos, I think it helps to understand a bit of the history <laughs> the, of Ravnica. It's Rakdos, not Radkos. I did the I same thing. Yeah. I did the same thing on the first uh, Ravnica episode. Rakdos. Radkos. Did it again. Just do control find and then <laughs> <laughs> select all and change. I'm just glad we caught it now and we didn't have to go through an entire fucking Giants episode listening to people mispronounce goddamn everything. Hey, man. Bones. <laughs> like, Sahuagin? Sahuagin? Sahuagin. Do you guys remember I actually, like, made an audio clip and sent it out for everyone to, to listen to so they could pronounce it right, and then nobody fucking did? Mm-hmm. That was a great time. You're like, I'm never doing this again. Fuck oh, you guys. Man. My rage. <laughs> I turned to Dan and I went, I'm going to kill all of them. That's when I started digging <laughs> the graves in the back. Yeah, you're like, that's it. This is when the death will occur. I thought we came to the conclusion that you can call it whatever you want, just be consistent. Yeah, ultimately that's true. Because you're as dumb as every DM is when it comes to pronouncing things, players are dumber. So you just do your own thing. Uh, Rakdos is a hard one, though, because you have not only our D&D fandom, but you will also have Magic the Gathering after your ass if you <laughs> say that wrong. <laughs> yeah, the Eberron fandom is is deep as well. So, like, yeah. the, they they super care. Yeah. And then, and like, the Dragonlance people came out of the woodwork. I was surprised. I didn't know anybody cared anymore. Anyways, anyways. Go for it, Kyle. Take it out. All right. So I got Rakdos. Rack dose, not rad coast, as I earlier said it, uh, from Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. And before I get into him proper, I think it helps to understand a bit of the history of Ravnica itself. So for more than 10,000 years, or more than 10,000 years ago, rather, Ravnica was a planet at war. Ten armies fought for control over Ravnica until Azor, a sphinx planewalker, laid out the foundation of the guild path a magically binding contract signed by the leaders of the Ten Armies, leading to the creation of the Ten Guilds that now control Ravnica. In the document, roles are laid out for each of the Ten Guilds within the framework of Ravnica, allowing a planet-wide city to grow and flourish for 10,000 years in relative peace. There were still small-scale disputes and attempts to undermine other guilds' power and influence, but the guild pack magically prevented any large-scale violence and guaranteed the continued existence of each of the ten guilds. However, after the 10,000 years, the pact was broken and war loomed anew. That was until the Izzet Guildmaster discovered a contingency plan put in place by Azor in the form of the Implicit Maze. 
which was basically a test uh, that could only be completed by all 10 guilds working together. And when they solved that maze, magic would be bestowed that would be able to create a new guild pack. And then that basically was incarnated into a single person named Jace Bellerin, who became the living guild pack. And his word became binding law of Ravnica. Any law that he verbally confirmed became magically unbreakable. And the responsibility of keeping the guilds in balance kind of fell to him. Now, the demon lord Radkos the Defiler was himself one of these original signatories, known as Perun, I think. I have no idea how to pronounce that word. Uh, it's P-A-R-U-N. Uh, and his guild is the Cult of Radko, Rakdos, uh, which was intended to fill roles concerning entertainment, mining, and manual labor. Though it seems that the latter two have fallen by the waysides in favor of just the entertainment angle. So originally, the Cult of Rakdos was given a place among the guild pack as a means to channel the destructive nature, natural impulses of demons, giants, ogres, and humans alike into a more societally friendly way. That attempt, however, was only moderately successful. And now with tension building once more between the various guilds and with several attempting to crack down on chaos and criminality, the cult of Rakdos, dedicated as it is to ultimate freedom, box of the attempts to rein it in and reacts with increasing violence. Now, members of the cult have essentially turned their back on the power-hungry schemes of the other guilds, believing that entropy is inevitable and that life is too short to be wasted on such petty squabbles. So instead, they choose to focus their efforts on just subverting other guilds' schemes by undermining popular and powerful leaders and interfering, often violently, with any effort to build a centralized concentration of authority. The chaotic evil nature of the cult encourages them to essentially bask in every cruel, pain-filled, and moment-to-moment base pleasure that life has to offer, believing it to be the only true way to live, and so choose to live a life of glorious, unrestrained hedonism. So, Megan, this should really speak to you. At its heart, the cult exemplifies a lust for power, extreme selfishness, and a lack of compassion. Its adherents delight in delivering pain to ensure that others know their place as subservient to the most powerful members. I resemble that remark. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was thinking about this. I was like, why did they give this to me? Ah, because mine's better, but that's fine. Pop off my yeah, cake. Okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. So the Demon Lord is known for his capricious cruelty and megalomania. Yet still people flock to join his guild, idolizing him for his magnetic presence, where his love of destruction, death, and pain encourages utter wantonness and inspires his cultists to create deadly stage acts. These are performed in permanent establishments, tucked away in the seediest neighborhoods of the city, and streets and plazas throughout Ravnica every night, only to be gone by morning. Carried to and from their locations on the backs of giants, in the hopes of catching his eye and earning Rakdos' favor. As for Rakdos... We love a good use of giants. (laughs) (laughs) Take one. Uh, So for... As for Rakdos himself, he is a consummate entertainer who can turn his mere presence into a grisly performance art. Is every entrance a spectacle? Is every action designed to catch and hold the attention of a captive audience? Sometimes literally. Sometimes he will crouch and watch performances of those who worship the ground he walks on. He is their muse and guiding hand, and his is the only opinion that matters. 
But after thousands of years of watching these acts, he has become a pretty harsh critic. And nothing raises his ire more than a half-assed performance. And his curtain call scythe has cut more than one lackluster show to a dramatic and final close. Because of this, Rakdos very rarely attends shows anymore, preferring the seclusion of his lair below the cult's guild hall, Rick's Maddie, and often spends months or years at a time and only re reappearing without warning. Oh, Rakdos, the Defiler, is a massive demon standing about 30 feet tall, dressed in a mix of chains, spikes, and skulls. He wields a huge flaming scythe that matches the crown of flames that sits upon his brow and huge demon wings that spread out behind him. He is a huge, chaotic, evil demon with a CR of 24, AC of 20 from natural armor, hit points average around 300 with 40 feet of walking speed and 80 feet of flying. He's got saving throws to strength, con, wisdom, and charisma, and skills in intimidation, performance, and persuasion. Uh, he has damage resistances to necrotic bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magic attacks, and he is immune to fire and poison damage, as well as the charmed, exhausted, frightened, and poisoned condition. He has true sight out to 120 feet, and he speaks abyssal and common. For traits, he has captivating presence, where a creature that starts its turn within 30 feet of Rakdos must make a DC 25 wisdom saving throw. On a failed saving throw, the creature becomes charmed by Rakdos for one minute or until the creature is further away than 30 feet from him. And on a successful save, the creature becomes immune to the ability for 24 hours. He also gets Cruel Entertainment, where whenever he watches a creature get reduced to zero hit points within 60 feet of him, he gains 25 temporary hit points. He can also innately cast Hellish Rebuke at fifth level, so 60 10 fire damage. And he can cast it at will with a spell save DC of 25, and it requires no components, and he uses charisma as a spell casting ability. Three legendary resistances a day. Uh, so if he fails a saving throw, he can succeed instead. Magic resistance, so advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. All his weapon attacks count as magical, and he gets a multi-attack using either his claws or his curtain call scythe, where he gets two attacks. The scythe is plus 15 to attack with a 10-foot reach and deals 3d10 plus 8 slashing damage and 3d8 fire damage. The claws are also plus 15 to attack with a 10-foot reach as well, but only deal 2d8 plus 8 slashing damage. Uh, he gets three legendary actions. Uh, number one is Sadistic Revelry, where each creature within 60 feet of them that is either an ally or has been charmed uses their reaction, if they can, and to move up to half their movement speed towards the creature closest to them that they can see unless it is already within five feet of them, at which point they must make one melee weapon attack against that creature. Okay, so I think the interesting thing about this legendary action is it doesn't exclude Rakdos from being a target of that ability. It just said whatever is creature's closest. It says uh, it has also... to be his ally or they have to be charmed by him. Or... Yeah. Would you consider him to be his own ally? No, uh, so that's it, just who gets affected by a sadistic revelry, right? Oh, so yeah, they may run at him, yeah. Yeah, so if they are closest to him, then technically I guess they move towards him and make a weapon attack. That's wild. Funny, but it's wild. Yeah. Uh, so the second one is Scythe, which costs two actions, where he makes one Scythe attack. And then finally, his Touch of Pain legendary action, which is for costs three actions. And Rakdos makes a claw attack against a creature that is within 10 feet of him, where on a hit, that creature must make a DC 25 con save 
or be poisoned for one minute. While poisoned, the creature cannot maintain concentration on anything that would require it. The creature poisoned in this way can repeat the saving throw at the end of its each of its turns. So it, it, part of it, it says that any ability that requires concentration, can you think of any ability that requires concentration that isn't a spell? I... Um, does does turn undead? Um, I th- like there are some I think cleric abilities, right? For sure. Um, and I was thinking like paladin smites, but those are technically spells. Yeah. So well, they they use spell slot. Yeah, I think they're technically spells, except technically for divine spells. smite. Yeah, but um, there are some that I think can pop off, especially some of the later stuff in like Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Some of those subclasses. I think there are things in there, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. Yeah, I was trying to figure it out earlier, but I couldn't. I mean, Either I guess way... they're just they're just being thorough because at the end of the day, it does stop concentration on spells as well as right. It says it can, you can't yeah. maintain concentration on a spell or any other effect that requires concentration. So it's just I think they're just covering their butts in case someone has a dispute. Well, yeah, it could sense. also be it could also be things like if you make somebody start rolling concentration checks. Okay, so like if it is if you're on a rocking boat, right? That and uh, someone is trying to do something very meticulous with their hands, right? You mm. might make them have to do a concentration check. So this would interrupt that shit like that, you know? Yeah. Okay. I could see that. Well, I'm gonna take it back. I can romanticize this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Could you? Dude, I I looked up his card art from, uh, because I was like, I'm pretty sure I remember what this guy looks like from actual magic cards. And I'm like, yeah, I can romanticize that in a heartbeat. (laughs) (laughs) That Big Daddy Rack Rack? (laughs) Yeah, Big Daddy Rack Rack. (laughs) Where there's a will, there's a way. Hey, man. (laughs) Uh, Okay, let's get into some questions. Let's roll off again. 16. 7. 4. Lessons. Megan, tell us a storyline. A storyline. So uh, I like the fact that the cult likes to make scenes in the middle of the night um, or during the evening time uh, of like great peril for folks. So I think this would be the, I can imagine it as the, the opening scene after your group has met at the tavern, like the classic D&D nonsense, met at a tavern, got some kind of a quest roll, and then everybody goes to bed at night and all of a sudden they're woken up by this big show happening in the streets. And it's like a full-on massacre. And most people are finding it, for some reason, normal. So this can go one of two ways for a different kind of play style. If it's an evil campaign, how delightful would it be to try and become a part of the cult? Other than that, if it's not, then then they would might have to choose between what their actual quest is and this side quest of figuring out like how to get rid of the said, said evil that the, the townsfolk kind of feel is normal because they just happen. So it's kind of like that whole thing at nighttime where all the taverns close at 9 p.m. Everything shuts down, all the doors get shuttered, and everybody goes home and there's nobody in the streets for a reason, right? But your one rogue decided to be an idiot and travel outside the out in the evening time to do some scouting and then comes across something or other, right? So I would definitely use the cult as the opener for it. But then the long ending is the fact that they're of Rakdos and how far you want to take it would be up to you as a DM and what your team decides to explore. So assuming that we've got a pretty adult solid group that don't have a whole lot of limitations thrown out in session zero, I would absolutely have some of the people um, get charmed. Some of the, the players get charmed. Now, the Rakdos himself has got about like eight different followers throughout the different monsters um, where 
Like they're all statted out, including those giants that that carry you know everything back and forth, and a bunch of like jester kind of shit as well. But he's also got a couple of really nasty fiends that like charm the crowds and get the crowds to hurt each other in like ecstasy and whatnot. And I could get into some really really dark shit here, but then have half the party just go with Rakdos and join the cult. They are charmed. I'm also really prone to handing out warlock levels to my players when they least expect it, when they sign right up and they want some extra power and whatnot. So I really do think that I could have Rakdos be a warlock patron for a handful of uh, of players at the table because they got seduced once and now they have a about a 50-50 chance every night of having dreams of that again and they can power up if they want because of that. Okay, interesting. I love it. <laughs> so, so not so much a campaign, but definitely a sidebar, a little a little plot line around level 12 to really kind of fuck with the players some. Because I think CR12 is the next highest. He's what, 20-something, you 20, said, Kyle? 24. Yeah, so I think the next highest one is like a CR12, I want to say. So that's a, that's a good level of fighting. They're not going to fight Rakdos himself at that level but there's we can get a couple of bosses in there chain together a bunch of little minions together to go in rescue them and get the fuck out of the crazy blood orgy that's happening in here mm-hmm. yeah or like the only way to get rid of somebody like unsuspiciously is to use the cult for something and then you have to make a deal with them and your yeah. one magical character is like okay fine i'll take one for the team like, and like i'm also really excited about the fact that in every single D campaign ever the players go and grab the robes of the cultists and put them on to infiltrate. But for these guys, it's leather assless chaps and <laughs> and like nipple rings, right? That's okay. That's... Now, now who's romanticizing? <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's really funny. You you had me at assless chaps. Continue. <laughs> what about okay, you, Kyle? So, uh, okay, so. I actually want to go back to your idea, Megan. Uh, so I was trying to find it. So the Rakdos actually has like a carnival setup, right? Where uh, it gives these traveling, um, these traveling giants with the circus on their back, and it gives them like layer actions and regional effects to make this like crazy wild sideshow that could be really fun to like describe and work into your kind of campaign like uh one of the layer actions is blood splashes on all creatures in a 20-foot radius there's a splash zone (laughs) yeah uh and each creature in the target becomes confused they like uh suffers the effects of the confusion spell confused or curious yes (laughs) a little bit yes Uh, okay, so for my story idea, I like the idea of having him as an information broker rather than an adversary. Because uh, in my mind, he doesn't really want to stop anyone. He just kind of wants to be left alone in order to put on his sideshow. And but it's the same thing with all his cultists. They just they're only willing to do as much evil stuff to be left alone to do their own evil stuff in their own home. Feels like a weird way to describe it. But fair but, enough. Yeah. So I, I like the idea of him just, you know, uh, he's giving you enough to just kind of make sure his enemies have their attention elsewhere. Like, even according to his lore, he barely attends shows and he never, almost never leaves his home itself. And also, if you're going to lore, you can't really kill a guild leader because it's all magically enforced. And I, I couldn't find out what actually happens if you break the laws, but I imagine it's pretty fucking bad. Um, so I don't know. I think it's 
it's not nearly as fun as either of your ideas but Amen. the other thing that's really cool just to like kind of launch off that like information broker kind of thing as well is he's clearly all about temptation as well as just like the revelry right so with the temptation you guys have seen i'm sure a hundred times through different sources of media where there's the corrupt city official or diplomat or whatever who goes and does something really wrong in their free time and then you know the good guy finds out about it and then they blackmail them or they uh, you know there there's that kind of um i think that the latest batman movie with robert pattinson did that pretty well where all of the like city officials are doing drugs in a secret club right you can just picture the mayor of this town that the rakdos cult is going through ends up getting really caught up in all of the uh in all of the like culty shit and come morning he'll be back home and everything will be fine again but if his wife ever finds out if the um, opposition of the, the uh, opposing leader of the uh, opposing party uh, ever finds out, if his constituents ever find out that he was there doing this really weird fucked up shit with Rakdos, yeah. it would destroy him. And so that could be a plot line. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Yeah, you get sent in to find clues and or maybe you have to try to blackmail him. Yeah, and I mean proof that he was at these things. Like, I'm not looking to kink shame anybody here, but like you could just have it be like whatever the customs are in this town, he's breaking those customs by getting involved in the cult, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Uh all right, Megan, do you have any hints for role-playing? I yeah, if you're gonna role-play Rakdos, I feel like this is your Freddy Krueger evil charisma big bad evil guy so this is the one that's gonna be cracking jokes trying to make a performance uh and like constantly asking for appraisal and approve so like it's gonna be like anytime he like finishes a joke he's waiting for you to give him applause and then if you don't he gets pissed and then like and like or he'll just kill a random cult person in the room and be yeah. like oh. like you told me this joke and you told me it would be funny and then just <laughs> absolutely murders that person right like um so i'd have a series of dad jokes ready i'd have a series of like weird all-knowing jokes about your your character's past that he can like throw out and like make a small performance about or something like that or i'd take it the flip side like there's a when you guys were chatting i was thinking it'd be a really cool like idea of the fact that yeah he has lost inspiration to to perform he's lost inspiration like he has no muse so he's looking for a muse right so he's now oh. looking anyone who comes to visit him he's just like Show me something I've never seen before because I am, I have nothing left to give. That's literally because one of the things that I really like about the Ravnica book is it gives you traits for the big villains. And so we've got an ideal, a bond and a flaw. And his bond is, if you want my favor, show me a performance I've never seen before. Yeah. Yeah. So play on that. Right. So I think it'd be really cool. But again, I, I definitely feel him as the Freddy Krueger of the group. <laughs> I really like him as the almost morose, like, um, not the sad clown, but just like the completely serious, everyone should pursue their greatest desire. I've done that. I've checked every box on my bucket list. There's nothing else left for me. Because his flaw is, what is joy? And so I, I love the idea of him sitting there and watching mortals go through their dances of carnal pleasures or intense pain or whatever it is and he just sits there and goes i've seen this give me something new and then he becomes a really cool foil not for a warlock but for a bard an interesting plot idea if you have you're trying to cheer up a demon the demon's depressed also the other thing about it too is that um for my role-playing tip for uh rakdos is 
whenever you talk to him, he will not respond to you unless you say sir at the end. Okay. <laughs> Again, who's romanticizing this shit? <laughs> I don't know what you oh, mean. So you're into it's power like play, Adam. I get it. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, he would be into power play, right? <laughs> <laughs> I for me, I think everything he does is meant to impress, right? He's going to be big, bombastic, you know, huge gestures. Like there's just going to be like flame geysers shooting up behind him, like fireworks, and just he is going to be overly reactive to everything, you know, like so dramatic, yeah, yeah, so <laughs> dramatic, and you know, but everything is meant. It's all an act, right? It's all meant to hide what is really there yeah you have to plan his entrance like that is the biggest plan you have for that campaign day is how big mm. his entrance is gonna be <laughs> and then he gets foiled and <laughs> I, I really feel like he is the world weary um like ringleader right where he goes in with a huge speech and riles up everybody and then walks off stage and like slumps his shoulders and goes <sighs> meanwhile there's a huge like huge fight or spectacle or something going on a slaughter out in the the three rings as he walks back towards his throne room because he's got a crown of flames like he's a he's a king right Mm -hmm. oh yeah Uh, yeah i mean like he he is essentially depressed that's kind of what i got from the lore right he sleeps for months or years at a time he is a recluse and he only ever comes out to occasionally watch shows and if he is unhappy at all with the show he will kill the performers yeah like that although he does enjoy it when people die there is a sadistic streak to him and not just because he's got a thing a legendary action called sadistic revelry but he's got a trait called cruel entertainment which you talked about where if someone dies in the 60 feet of him that he can see he gains hit points right yeah so the t- temporary hit points, but still like there's a buff to him if somebody else dies. So that's probably the only thing that can make like the corner of his mouth twitch. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. you've got to assume the people that hold court around him, his seconds in command have got to be the most sadistic, evil people. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They are called blood witches. Dope. I'm in. Sign me yeah. up. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to learn about the blood witches. Yeah. Uh, so they are the pinnacle of his priesthood, his trusted advisors. I'm quoting the book. Sure. And the messengers who communicate his will to the scattered troops and ringmasters. The cult of Rakdos recognizes no authority but Rakdos. And the demon lord requires no advisors. Nonetheless, the blood witches are smart, charismatic, and powerful. And so their voices do carry some weight. Blood witches strive both to protect the cult from external interference and to punish those who bring harm to the guild. They claim grandiose titles such as Tormentor of the Wojek as a way of mocking their intended victims. And they look pretty badass. They've got like Harlequin uh, outfits and like swinging from spike chains. That's fun. Uh, okay, Megan, do you have any ideas for impact on the environment? For I, uh, I feel like like land and such. Like he's kind of like the king of fire, so maybe you're set on the side of a mountain where there's a volcano hanging out. But I think that like if you were to go in, you're looking for clues in the environment that he exists here or that the cult exists here. Is that the people that you're around or the town that you're visiting? No one bats an eyelash at death. Like yeah. it's normal, gruesome, uncontrolled killings are normal and so they're like oh it's like you have a you have a conversation with the noodle shop guy and he's like yeah my daughter died two days ago 
And it's like, oh, are, are like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, man. Like, I mean, she stepped out of line and that happens. She like, she was a performer and lost her life because her performance wasn't good enough. And like, so you have these conversations, like it's almost like you'd have to have conversations to kind of figure out the theme that's happening with this town. But that's yes, the one thing okay. I really think of like environmental is just like the things in the townsfolk are saying and like their mood. And like, it might even be like a bustling town of performers that come here to impress Rakdo. So you actually have high charisma, high positive people floating around, right? And yeah. then you have the people that live in the town and they're just like, well, they're probably going to die anyways, right? Like, so it's like going to have that juxtaposition and attitude to being in the town. But yeah, they I, uh, do. Sorry. They, uh, yeah, they do say that in the book that, you know, nobody talks about liking going to the circus or these shows but everybody kind of does it like it's like their dark secret or yeah you know, it's like their the sadistic side yeah, yeah it's like the the weird the weird niche things that folks enjoy right is that people will go see just to see the massacre right but they're yeah. like i'm going because i have to but most people actually enjoy going like weird sadistic shit yeah it's, it's like the people, people that go to nascar to watch the car crashes I, I was gonna say, are the people that used that used to just go to hangings, yeah, and beheadings and shit, right? Like, there's a dark side to humanity, and I think Rakdos is gonna pull that out. Mm -hmm. I, I was thinking about, you know, they travel, so I and they go to where there are permanent structures, and then they leave those permanent structures behind, right? So I feel no, like no, no. So there's permanent structures like in all over the world, yeah, where they have their stuff, and then they also have like street performances that are carried okay. in on the backs of giants and like they'll go to like a busy plaza and they'll put on this crazy stage show for one night and then that will leave but then they also have like permanent clubs i feel like for any temporary place where they would be you would just find blackened char charcoal uh scorch marks right to to say that they were there and so there's like a cleanup crew that comes afterwards that just like cleans all that shit up before dawn right so yeah. Um, I also feel like, uh, like the attitude would be less of the, well, they were always a performer and I don't really care. Although I really like that town and that's a weird town. And I want to put, I, I want to put that in my campaign that, that fucking strange, but I feel like they would, people would talk about, oh, they, they went the way of Rakdos or they followed the flame or whatever, the way that we have euphemisms about like drug addiction. Like there are a lot of people that, like dabble with kind of recreational, nothing drugs, but every once in a while, you get a story about somebody who took it a little bit too far, and they stopped enjoying the street performances, and they started to find the actual places to go. And so, you know, they we only see them two or three days a week. They're out all night. They come back with all these marks on them, and then all of a sudden, one day, they're just gone, and they fell to the Rakdos cult, right? Yeah. They One day, they became the performance. Yeah, for me, like, there's not so much clues these guys there's no subtlety in their game right they want everybody to see it they want that that's their draw right like look how much fun we are having look how cool this is look like this is i mean ravnica as a whole is a pretty bleak place for the most part right it, it talks about like ten thousand years of peace but i mean under the surface it is grimy so there's there's a lot of like forever debts you know, where you are, you're basically, your ghost becomes a servant forever because you, know, you fell into debt and stuff like this. So yeah. it's like, you know, there's a lot of draw to seeing this big, crazy, loud action thing where it's like, live every moment, you know, fuck it. I want, I want to feel alive again. Let's go to a Rakdos show. Yeah, exactly. 
So you'll know, you can find them, right? You'll be able to hear it from a kilometer away that there is a show going on in a certain plaza. And you'll also see flames shoot up in the air. And uh, it's it, it would be like going to the best rock concert in the world. That's how I imagine the, their impact on an environment. Uh, how about strategies for combat? Megan? Uh, I feel like if he wants to fight you, he will. Like, I think this is one of the first ones where, like, he'd do the fight himself. Like, because, mm-hmm. like, normally when we talk about big, big bads or, like, super godlike monsters, like, we always talk about how they're not going to do the fight themselves. They're going to send in their minions, they're going to send in their avatars, and that's who you're dealing with. I feel like if he hates you and doesn't like your performance or wants to get rid of you, he's going to do it himself and he's going to do it with Flourish. And so I find that a lot of the attacks and abilities that he have that have a lot of really neat flourish are in his legendary actions. Like I really like the um, the fact that his scythe is called curtain call because I'm imagining like yeah. the whole like pulling you off stage with it, um, like that whole concept, and that's how it pop off the battle, reaping someone off the stage with a scythe, and then yeah. just hellish rebuking people to death. And then I mean, honestly, the touch of pain. I understand that like maybe the concentration thing isn't that badass but yeah you have that one wizard that's sitting across the room thinks they're going to be oh safe for a couple of rounds this bitch has an 80 foot fly speed he's going to find that magical creature and be like pain and like that would be the end of their abilities for a while right so i don't know i feel like there's a lot of flourish that you can use and i feel like if you're going to dm him and actually be in a battle with him it would be fun to describe how he's like dancing across like the fucking like the wherever arena you're at or um how he kind of flourishes or like twists and spins his scythe or what have you right i just think that's there's a lot of thing fun things that you can do visually with him but mm. the legendary actions are the ones that interest me the most all right cool what's Adam? interesting to me here is that absolutely everything that he does is melee all of his big attack spells and everything and he is controlling he's charming people but he's also calling them to like go fight the next closest thing and one of the things that you pointed out which I think is absolutely brilliant. So here's my tactic, is a sadistic revelry, because it only takes one legendary action to do, and you get three per turn or per round, right? So um, anyone within 60 feet has to move towards, you know, or up to half a speed uh, towards the creature closest to it that it can see. And we pointed out, that might be Rakdos. And he might just, just laugh out loud and everybody turns and just like rushes towards him to hit him and do damage so that he can get off that cruel entertainment um or sorry that uh that hellish rebuke at fifth level which will just kill npcs outright yeah and anyone that he doesn't kill he then still has two legendary actions for his scythe it's not even his turn and he has wiped out multiple people calling them in and setting them on fire interesting yeah and he got 25 temporary hit points each time yeah mm-hmm. so all this damage nothing's happening to him yeah yeah and all oh, the while his cultists are just standing on the outside clapping as he does it like yeah. they're just hooting and hollering and cheering and it's just it's just chilling cheering him on i could almost see some of them sacrificing themselves so that he can get the buff and the boost mm-hmm. okay because it doesn't have to be like enemies it can be anyone that dies within 60 feet right and yeah. so when a creature so yeah. any creature. So you know that they're going to have, you know, little capuchin monkeys in cages to toss yeah. at the fire and stuff. Like, it's going to get dark and weird, and he is going to love it. That 25 hit points is going to just be regenning, respecting over and over and over and over and over again, right? I love it. I love it so much. 
interesting. Okay, this, I think you guys. Oh, sorry. Go. This is the this the Big Daddy Rakdos has endurance. Is the point? Yeah, it's going to be a long battle until you figure out, and it's you're it, the shitty part is you're probably not going to live very long. So before you figure out what's happening, like you're probably already suffering. So it's kind of like, okay, how do we get out of here? Like if you've popped off a battle with fucking Daddy Rakdos, like it's get out. Right. Yeah, ch- chances are you have popped off prematurely and you need to leave. Yeah. Hey, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> There's carriage fare on the nightstand. Get the fuck out. <laughs> carriage fare? <laughs> dead. Amazing. Fucking love it. Uh, yeah, I think you guys are dead on the money. It is going to be a show. He wants to put on a show for everybody during this fight. He's going to take it all on himself. And my thing is... Fuck them spellcasters, right? I think that is kind of why he has that third legendary ability where nobody can concentrate on a spell because he's looking at these spellcasters and going, you don't get to be the center of the show. You don't get to put on any of these cool spells. That's me. Only I get to do this because he wants the spotlight all the time. He is the center of attention and he does not want to share it. You guys... Mm -hmm. You guys ever see one of those movies where like the behind the scenes bit where the directors just going off about how we did this with practical effects. There's no CGI here. We blew that up. We crashed that car. We (laughs) sank that boat. We did it. I feel like that's Rakdos compared to all of the other big fiends that we've had so far because they're all spellcasters to some degree. And he's like, nah, man, fire. That's all I need is fire and my big throbbing girthy scythe. Right. And I'm just going to do this myself. (laughs) Amazing. I love it. Romanticized. (laughs) Don't ever use the word girthy again, please. Uh, (laughs) Hard to say it with such conviction. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You put so much emphasis on the G, like girthy. Yeah. (laughs) It's the R. It's the, it's the hard R. (laughs) Go big or go home. Right. (laughs) Oh my God. All right. Who was next? I think it was Adam. So yeah, uh, next up, I have a trip over to Eberron now. We're done with Ravnica, and uh, I want to talk for a moment about one of our two overlords. Um, These are, well, okay, here, let me start off. I went and I grabbed um, Exploring Eberron, and that's the third-party book that Keith Baker, so the actual creator of Eberron, uh, wrote himself after he did the official fifth ed book. So it's supposed to be like kind of like a supplement to it. And I found this quote. So I'm going to start with this. According to the progenitor myth, which is sidebar, that's the, the myth of how the world came to be. There were three different dragons and that became essentially the underworld, the surface and the stars and, and, and moon and whatnot. So according to the progenitor myth, Eberron became the world in, and all natural creatures are her children. Eberron is one of the dragons. But in the first days of the world, the children of Kyber, who's another dragon, and their children are fiends, aberrations, and other monsters, rose up from the darkness and claimed dominion over the world. The greatest among these were the overlords, immortal archfiends embodying the evils that plagued mortals. So that's where we're starting with. More than 100,000 years ago, a group of champions, some say dragons, some say gods, but the only thing we know for certain is that a large host of uh, Kuatls uh, sacrificed themselves in the war. They banished all 30 of the fiendish overlords to Kyber, which is the underworld of Eberron. This group of champions have since passed the power down throughout the eons, and now the faith known as the Silver Flame stands vigilant, wielding that power. 
There are some immortal and very powerful fiends that are left above, and these are called the Lords of Dust. And so I want to talk about these before I jump into my my uh, overlord here. They are now in direct conflict with the secret society of dragons on the main continent of Eberron. The secret society is called the Chamber, and it's concerned with the nature of the draconic prophecy that tells the future and ultimate fate of Eberron. Dave and I wax poetic about this in the Eberron series. Go back and listen to it. It's really fun. The Lords of Dust are constantly trying to raise their overlords by manipulating and affecting the draconic prophecies because the nature and purpose of the draconic prophecies is unknown. If the act of freeing an overlord makes the draconic prophecies come true, then the overlord can be truly freed and can walk the earth again. Lesser fiends can come up from Kyber, but the overlords are trapped below. And while every fiend is a servant of one overlord or another, not every fiend necessarily is a part of the Lords of Dust or involved in the fight against the chamber. In fact, most of the Lords of Dust are Rakshasas, which are problematic for mortals, to say the least, because Rakshasas are scary, and they gave us a couple new lower CR versions to use as foot soldiers in Eberron. Fiends versus Dragons is a very long-sighted and absolutely wild war with all sorts of implications that are very subtle, and mortal adventurers often get caught in the middle being manipulated or used by either side. A fair number of warlocks are actually minions, of the Lords of Dust, although they're far from the majority of spies, hench people, and servants. There is also, the the info about Lords of Dust is spread wide across um, the Rising from the Last War book, um, but I managed to pick out a couple of interesting points. There's a labyrinth that is guarded by orcs that actually leads down into the underworld, and while there are fiends that are constantly trying to get out and plague the mortal surface world, the Lords of Dust are always trying to clear the path from the surface. Only this army of orcs keeps them in check, and very few fiends are able to slip through. That means in Eberron, orcs are actually like honorable protectors. Now, it's worth pointing out again that the Lords of Dust have very long-term plans, and they've been known to help even good guys and underdogs, knowing that saving a life or helping the good guys will set them one step closer to freeing their overlords, depending on what their grand designs are. But sometimes they get distracted. This sometimes means that a Lord of Dust might want to usurp the power of his overlord instead of freeing them, or it might mean that they become interested in surface affairs. There are three unnamed Lords of Dust that are fathers of Sora Kel's daughters. Sora Kel, if you think, if you guys can remember, God, I think almost 100 episodes ago, we covered hags in depth for like a bunch of episodes. Um, she's like the big like leader of um the coven of hags the three hags that that rule an entire country so sorakel is super powerful and and almost mythic um she is in theory the nastiest hag in all of fifth edition lore potentially only challenged for that title by like igwil or baba lysaga but i think that honestly she's way scarier regardless the Lords of Dust have sired at least a Dusk Hag, a Dusk Hag, an Anis Hag, and a Night Hag. The last thing you need to know is that while the Overlords have been restrained below, they cannot really be killed. They are truly immortal. They are some of the first creatures to walk the lands of Eberron. They don't require air, food, drink, or water, and if you destroy their body, they will just begin to immediately reform somewhere else in the multiverse. So we're talking the biggest of the baddest of the scary fiends. As a matter of fact, we have very few fiends published anywhere that are as high as CR as the ones we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Um, so 
The one that I've got is Sul Katesh, and uh, she's a CR 28. Her domain is the fear and superstitions that represent and encircle the dark sides of magic. Mad wizards, evil warlocks, obsessed artificers, and other corrupted or tempted spellcasters can usually trace their downfall back to her influence if they can even understand it at all. The problem is that most of her victims don't see the downside or even her influence until it's too late. This is why she's known as the Keeper of Secrets or the Queen of Shadows. She is literally made of shadow, and that means that she can take many forms. Her most common is of a humanoid woman who's 12 feet tall and wreathed in dark mists and shadows. A hood and face covering obscure her features, and her entire body is wrapped up in a shroud. It's impossible to tell where her shroud ends and the swirling, misty shadows begin. The only thing we know for certain is that her eyes glow. Most of her minions are spellcasters, and she has many small cults and covens that follow her in the name of power or knowledge or revenge, but there's not one big overarching organization. Her right-hand fiend is Hektula, a Rakshasa who actually acts as a librarian over ancient knowledge, tomes, and artifacts in the demonic citadel called Ashtakala. Getting into her stat block, Sol Kitesh is a large fiend, I said 12 feet tall, so kind of the upper side of large, um, lawful evil. She's got an AC of 22, and her hit points are 50 d10 plus 200. So if you play her like I play her, that's 700 hit points. She's got a moving speed of 40 feet and a fly speed of 40 feet, and she can hover. All of her stats are through the roof, but intelligence is a whopping 30. The lowest is strength within 18, so a plus 4. Uh, intelligence of 30 is a plus 10, by the way. She's got saving throws to boost these up for constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. She's got uh, some arcana, history, insight, and religion buffs as well and she's resistant to cold, fire, and lightning damage. She's immune to poison and the standard bludgeoning, piercing, slashing from non-magical attacks. She's also immune to a handful of conditions, including charmed, exhaustion, frightened, paralyzed, petrified, and poisoned. Not on the list is stunned or incapacitated, so, like, use your monks, I guess. Um, her For senses, she's got true sight up to 120 feet and uh, passive perception of 16, so she knows you're there. Languages are all, with telepathy up to 150 feet. We saw that a couple of times in the previous episode as well. Just this, like, whopping ability to just communicate, no matter what. Because she's trapped below, I assume that this... I would have her be able to whisper to followers sometimes, you know? Um, I'm going to skip the spellcasting for just a moment, but she's got a bunch of it. She's got legendary resistances three times a day, which means if she fails a saving throw, she can choose to succeed instead. She's got magical resistance, which again is advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. But she also has something called Master of Magic, which essentially gives her advantage on any con saving throws that, that help her uh, concentrate. So for her actions, she has multi-attack, which is when she makes four attacks with her Arcane Blast. That's a ranged spell attack, plus 18 to hit, 120 foot range, so it's going to go, and it'll probably hit. But it only does 1d10 plus 10 force damage. Now, the force is what's important here. We're going to see a lot of force damage out of her. She also has a magic staff, um, and that is a plus 12 to hit. Has only a reach of 5 feet, which I think is ridiculous. She's a large creature. Um, and she can only hit one target. But it does 5d12 plus 4 
force damage. So the idea is that you're doing potentially you've got to hit four times with the multi-attack, or you can hit once and risk it all for one big damage hit with the magic staff. I feel like the plus, sorry to interrupt, I feel like the plus 10 to the arcane blast though is what really separates it. I mean, I guess that does kind of get add up in the five extra two, right? Like five. No, no, the one D10 plus 10 gives is a average of 15, right? It's 15 and a half. Right when you when you roll a d10, so assuming that you hit, and that's a big if. I know you got a plus eighteen, but at this point we're dealing with level nineteen or twenty characters, so there's going to be shit they get up to, right, to right. mitigate the hit. So assuming that you can hit four times, that's an average of sixty-one damage, right? That's way more powerful than the magic staff, who at most can do sixty-four. Okay, yeah. However, that magic staff is you only have to hit once, Mm -hmm. right? The other one, you're going to miss here and there. So it's you can work out the probabilities on that, but I'm going to try to arcane blast the 120 foot range and the ability to fly. I mean, that's the answer, right? Yeah. So she also has the ability to once per long rest, uh, use a action called arcane cataclysm. So essentially what happens is that she ends up conjuring these these dark orbs of shadow that plummet to the ground at three different points that she can see within a fucking mile of her. Each creature in a 40-foot radius sphere has to make a DC 16 dexterity save or take 11d12 force damage on a failed save, half as much if you succeed. A creature in the area of more than one only takes the one, um, and each one of them acts as an anti-magic field for one hour afterwards for everyone except her. So she can still cast spells within it and cast spells through it. She also has the ability to change shape as an action. So she, you know, magically polymorphs into a humanoid beast or giant that has a challenge rating no higher than her own, but at a CR of 28, good fucking luck finding that. So I think that Rask even the, yeah, is like, like the only one. The, well, Tarask's the monstrosity. You can't even do that. Oh, so, yeah. um, no, like beasts, I think max out at like six or eight, like it's CR eight, maybe. Um, it's, it's not much. There's not much. So she can do, she can just turn into anything, but she keeps all of her like regular shit. She could choose whether or not she's wearing or carrying the items that she's got with her, or if it just gets absorbed in. And then in her new form, she gets to keep her alignment, hit points, hit dice, ability to speak proficiencies, legendary resistance, and intelligence, wisdom, and charisma scores, as well as this ability to change shape. So otherwise, everything else has changed into the new form, um, except any class features or legendary actions of that form. She also gets legendary actions because that's the level we're talking about here. So she gets three legendary actions. The first one is just called attack, but she gets to make two attacks with her arcane blast or one attack with her magic staff. Again, I don't know why you would attack with the staff unless someone has closed the distance to you. Um, She's got the ability to consume magic. This is my favorite. For two actions, she targets any creature within 120 feet of her that who is concentrating on a spell. Then they've got to make a DC 26 con save um, or its concentration is broken on the spell. And then she gains five temporary hit points per level of that spell. So she just sticks a hand out and eats their fucking magic. Also, she's got Maddening Secrets, which costs three actions. And this is when she whispers an arcane secret into the mind of a creature that's seeking 
that she can see within 60 feet of her. And the target has to succeed again on a DC 26 wisdom save or expend one of its spell slots of third level or lower and deal 4d12 force damage to each creature within 30 feet of it. So that's an average of 26. So a creature that fails at saving throw um, but can't expend a spell slot is instead stunned until the end of its next turn. So she just straight up uses your spellcasters as bombs to hit everyone else in the party. And on top of that all, as much as I like the Arcane Blast and the Arcane Cataclysm with all the anti-magic fields, it's really cool and fucky, which I don't think she'd get that off, you know, round one, right? But as much as I like that, she also has spells. Once a day, she gets Foresight, which I mean is good for role-playing purposes, I guess. But she also gets Gate and Teleport, which means she's got some get-out-of-jail-free cards. She also has Power Word Kill. Additionally, three times a day, she gets Chain Lightning, Create Undead, Dream, Hold Monster, Mass Suggestion, and Scrying. And then at will, this is what makes her, in my opinion, a pain in the ass to deal with. She has Counterspell, Detect Magic, Detect Thoughts, Dispel Magic, Eye Bite, Fireball, Lightning Bolt, and Shield. So her AC of 22 is effectively 27. Yeah. So she is a fucking monster to deal. This is a behemoth fight, right? You are not going to get through this easily, and you're not going to get the drop on her between foresight and scrying and dream. Like There's no there's no way to win this fight. If she gets yeah. raised up in your campaign, you're pretty fucked. I feel like she's missing mind blank. I, I feel like she's missing a lot of stuff, but if you just keep buffing her up, she's going to be a CR like 48, right? Like, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that thematically fits. I'm not sure how much I'm going to change shape, except I might actually use her because of all of her like whispering things to people and all that, like the theme of shadow darkness. I might pull a Harry Potter and, and have her be a pet that can talk. Oh, you found a talking muskrat. And they're going to fucking adopt the thing. It's going to hang around for another 15 levels. Never end up dying from the fireballs that hit it. And it turns out that it's her the whole time. And she's been slowly corrupting the warlock or rogue or whatever. So anyway, that's what I have for Sol Katesh. All right. Well, let's get into some questions then. So roll. Nine. Natural 20. Oh, look at you. Six. So Adam, what's your storyline? My storyline for her is not going to really be focused on her the whole deal is with these overlords you've got to free them if they're freed and they're out walking around before you guys hit tier four then the eberron as a setting is fucked your homebrew should be falling into evil if you if you're gonna use her or the and the lords of dust right so Mm -hmm. it's she is going to show up as a voice as an influence your standard cult shit but then this is what I'm going to manifest my actual, like, and they managed to to succeed on the ritual. They called forth this, this immortal fiend that you absolutely cannot kill. And she traps you in here uh, with her. And now it's time to fight. Like, fight for your lives. So we'll see how many people get away. Um, but this would honestly be that real end. Like, you've got your enemies, the, the cult leaders that you've been trading barbs with for the entire campaign. There are a couple of big-ass monsters that you've overcome, and you think you're done the whole thing, and then she shows up. Mm-hmm. And this is your actually last combat, your last moments of a campaign. This is, we've actually 
killed all of our enemies and every personal story that we have is done and we've succeeded in everything except the church starts to shake the volcano erupts the eclipse happens oh shit we didn't do it she shows up cliffhanger come back next week and now we're gonna have this three-hour fucking fight yeah cool yeah Megan? she's definitely one that like if she's to your point if she ends up in the land the world is fucked unless you had a legitimate plan going into it in the end right yeah. Yeah. So if I want to use her in my campaigns, I would definitely do more of a storyline of like an NPC that you have following around. Or even if one of your players wants to be a warlock, she's your patron because, you know, she she wants to have her power somewhere in the world. So she's picking random, like prophetic, really strong wizards and warlocks to be able to like utilize her magic, which is going to be a part that bolsters her. Right. And then you're going to go into like, in the middle of the woods or the forest or in this shadowy town, you find a cult. And then it's just like, well, I never really knew where my powers came from holistically. Uh, I would love to learn about it. And then it starts this whole spiral of going down this dark path, right? Especially if it's a good campaign, it'd be an interesting little piece of darkness to throw in there. And if you're playing a darker evil campaign, uh, it would definitely be like something they would be interested in like pursuing, right? And learning more about. This but. is where your, your shadow sorcerer who didn't know where the magic came from yeah starts dicking around with it and trying to figure it out and digging into it and then suddenly levels of fiendish warlock right mm -hmm. yeah. and they're like wait a minute what and you're just like well whoopsie <laughs> <laughs> poopsies a powerful player build too to do that right so yeah yeah all right cool uh so for me i i don't know i don't know if i would ever have her directly in the game as you know she's escaped um prison right because they're trapped in kyber shards i really like the idea of you know she can still exert a little bit of influence on the world even though she isn't free uh so i like the idea of you know also kind of an information broker but in a very different sense than the way i would have gone with uh rakdos right like so she's gonna start off like whispering to your party or you might meet someone that looks like a ghost or something like that and you know they're nice they're polite and they give you little hints and clues about you know oh you should go there you should do this don't trust this person you know because she's got all the secrets and the lies and so she starts off as you know very truthful right and so you get hooked based on you know oh she's helped us so she's going to continue helping us Maybe she appears in your player's dreams, taking the form of someone, a loved one, a trusted one, you know, reaching out from beyond the grave because uh, they care about you, right? So to make that little attachments and then just kind of, you know, all of a sudden her hints start taking you, your party down a darker and darker and a darker path, right? Because she gains power based on untrustfulness and uh, people's fear of magic. Yeah. Right. So, so she kind of goes, oh, there is all these people that are gathering for something. Right. Like they're going to start. Um, you start getting prophetic visions about a second morning or, you know, you go into a town and all of a sudden there's all these witch hunts and stuff like that. Right. And so slowly, like, you know, the uh, the allegory of uh, the frog in a pot of boiling water. Yeah, that's exactly what I do with her. It just start her off as good and build trust and then slowly just kind of crank the fucked up situation that's going on around you yeah i can also imagine like to your point i can also imagine going into a town and you're a warlock or a wizard like you can't come in here yeah because if you come in here they're gonna seek you out 
and then the rest of this village is in trouble so you need to leave oh yeah i like that a lot yeah i absolutely love this character as a this could be what like your very first session as well like hey everybody I need you to build level one characters, but I also want you to build a level 20 character. And we're going to flash back a hundred thousand years for session one. And we're going to show you the fight against one of the fiendish overlords. And that's how we're going to launch this campaign. Yeah. So you know how hard it's going to be if she gets raised or what have you. Right. Like you've seen it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I like that. Mm. Very neat. Uh, Okay. Adam, how about social? Do you have any, Hands for DMs who are looking to play this character. I think that if you don't jump on the opportunity to say there is no Dana, only Sewell Katesh, then you've missed an opportunity. <laughs> okay. Every time I hear <laughs> the name Sewell Katesh, I think Suckatash, like Thuffer and Thuckatash. <laughs> oh it is indelibly linked in my mind. Uh, no, so so um, my thing for her, she's all whispers, right? Like she's... Mm-hmm. She, I'm absolutely distracted by her, um, her magic staff that she has in the artwork because it's got this floating orb that almost looks like, uh, like a blue eye of Sauron, like this weird little like pupil in it. And then she's got foresight and, um, and the ability to cast dream and detect magic and, and, um, scrying and whatnot. And so like, I feel like this, this thing can see everything and then she whispers from the shadows all the time my role-playing thing for her i love the idea that she is affecting the world but she's not quite in it so you can hear her voice from the darkened altars but for her the altars aren't like you light candles or anything it's you have to be in complete shadow 100 darkness and then if you're very very still and very very quiet and you do not bring anything magical in with you, then you might be able to hear her. But if you have magic artifacts, nothing. And every once in a while, if you bring in a magic artifact, it might suddenly lose its magical ability because she has dispel magic and anti-magic fields and all that shit. So like, I feel like she is trying to suck up the magic. Maybe, Maybe that's my plot point as well, is that they're just collecting magic items because if they get enough of them in one spot, she can get all of that magic at once, and here she comes. And that's why people are scared of magic items. We don't want them anywhere near us, because the the lords of dust will come, kill us, and take the magic. Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. quote-unquote, magic is cursed, right? Yeah. Yeah. I also like the idea when you were saying that you have to be in utter darkness. I'm now thinking of, like, you're in utter darkness, we have one single candle lit, so shadows mm. are strewn about the room, right? Yeah. And then you may catch a glimpse of a figure or just like a, a small little like like silhouette of someone within the shadows dancing around but you just hear whispers in your head or, or you have like a candle but it's it's got a shade on both like on the front and the back so you are in shadow and if you are in shadow and you can look at the shadow that's being cast on the other side of it you might be able to see two glowing eyes peering back at you yeah and i was gonna say the biggest part from our art that stood out to me for role-playing aspects is the eyes yeah so and like it actually covers her mouth like uh, like her cloak wisps over top of her mouth so it's almost like she's not built to speak but i feel like if you're going to role play her and like you see her you're going to see a lot of like facial expressions of like looking directly at you because like i am speaking to you but i'm not talking well she's got the telepathy right so 
in theory, she should be able to to do that. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe this is why we make it weird because uh, Devil's got to be weird, right? And and so that's sorry, that's the other thing that we should have mentioned at the top here. At this point on these realms, there's no difference between Devil and Demon. Yeah, it's just fiends, right? So. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to use a devil or a demon stat block, doesn't matter. They're just fiends. So, the, but that's the thing about her. Maybe she doesn't have a mouth. Yeah. Right. Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the whole candle thing, you know what I do is I get a candle that burns a black flame and only produces shadow. Oh, like. <laughs> oh, so that's cast... a special, a special item. So a special yeah. black ca- candle. It yeah. casts shadow instead of casting light. So you put yeah. it in a brightly lit room or in the middle of daylight and you light it and it just casts a bubble of shadow. That's Yeah. Fucking... That's cool. That's that's rad. I like that's that. That's really neat. Yeah. Uh Megan, do you have any other hints for DMs? For role-playing aspects? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like at the end of the day, we talked, she's like soft spoken. So if I'm if, like, if you are gonna hear her voice, I feel like it is gonna be very soft and very wispy, very feminine. Um, and then if you're gonna actually see her face again, using the eyes. So if I was gonna role play this as a DM, I would make a lot of weird eye facial expressions. I would practice like surprise and like sadness because like I feel like she does want to portray emotion but she's only going to do it with her eyes and okay. so I think that would be a big challenge as a DM to try and do because sometimes in your DM you're sitting at the table and you're like yeah they're talking to your head and this is what they say but they don't really do anything like the acting of the facial expression but I find that that to be sometimes the funnest part of being yeah. a DM Megan if you ever have the chance to play her can you go out and get one of those white neutral masks that actors have and just cut the eye holes a little bit bigger so that we can see your eyes doing it <laughs> the rest of your face is totally still oh I would love that it'd be a lot of fun <laughs> I'd scare some folks that day but that would be a fun way to do it too right it's just yeah. do the whole thing with like your eyes and they can't see your face like your mouth or the fact that you're saying words right it would definitely help get the creepiness across Oh, 100%. Uh, I like that idea a lot. Uh, for me, I think she would embody the phrase, kill them with kindness. You know, she would be polite. She'd be kind. She'd be patient. She wouldn't react to any sort of like inflammatory speeches. You know, maybe if you disobeyed her, then like the shadows would flare darker kind of thing. I think there's a lot of, I'm still imagining her as more of a ephemeral sort of presence, right? So it, she's only kind of vaguely affecting the planet around her so it's dark out but suddenly it gets darker right it feels like the light is getting sucked into her aura but she would never give off any sort of clues that she might be evil yeah i like what you're saying at the beginning too where like she has this boating confidence about her she's a cr28 she knows she could eat evil alive yeah so she's like that kill it with kindness is kind of like are you sure you want to do that like Oh, oh, dearie. No, I don't think that's a good idea. It's the, it's the oh, honey. Yeah. <laughs> Bless your heart. Bless your soul. Oh. It's mine now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think she would also appear to people as someone they trust. Like She would rage your mind, find out what's going to put you off kilter the most, and then she's going to take that form. I think she's really subtle too. Like I'm thinking about the idea of so artificers have a bunch of downtime shit built into them, right? And so do wizards with learning spells and practicing spells and writing shit down their spell books. And warlocks do with their their rituals and whatnot. But can you, like, you just, every once in a while, a gust of wind comes and blows out a candle. And it plunges them into darkness for a moment. And in that moment, they get a little piece of inspiration. In their own voice, they hear something in their head, because she's got that telepathy, that says, 
no, no, no. Make the rune like this. And then they start blowing the candles out on purpose to get that inspiration. And they think it's just a muse. Maybe it's a it's lighting the black candle. When you do that, you give them the mechanic of, hey, artificer, you normally have to roll a d20, but now you get advantage because you're in the circle of shadows. Like, well, shit, okay, yeah, we can do this. But it's her the whole time, right? Oh, interesting. I like that. And then sometimes it has nothing to do with that. Instead, she's whispering secrets because I think she always tells the truth, right? So sometimes it doesn't help you, but she's known as the keeper of secrets. She's known as, um, she's got a, a legendary action called maddening secrets, right? So I like the idea of her always telling the truth. And sometimes you don't get a mechanical bonus. Instead, you just find out that, did you know that this NPC actually hates this NPC? And you slowly start to seed truths in and you can actually give quite a bit of lore, but it's always dark undertone. And now this player has this knowledge and starts treating NPCs or even the other players or sidekicks or whatever differently. And those those NPCs don't know why, but they're getting suspicious. Holy shit, do you know my secret? How would you know that? And you get this air of paranoia, not for the players, but for everyone else in the world to be scared of the players. And this feeds right back into the be scared of magic, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. I like that a lot. Uh, how about, uh, what impact would she have on the environment? It's hard for her because it's, it's shadow, right? Like, mm-hmm. she exists in darkness and shadow, and, and maybe shadows are deeper or flames aren't as bright in her presence. But I don't want her showing up until the very, very, very end, right? So I think I'm going to focus more on the idea of the Lords of Dust, right? Where they are going to, as you as you find her cult, they they will be leaving behind things like they've used charcoal to black out windows and create darkness, right, and shit like that. So you'll be able to tell and f- like where the cult has been and follow them and whatnot. But uh, if you want to find the evidence of them being there, go to the dark places, go to bottoms of wells, deep in mausoleums, in basements in rooms without windows this is where you want to go like broom closets or or storage rooms where there's no light that's going to pour in and that's where you're going to find them that's also where you're going to find their bodies that they leave behind or the broken artifacts from the rituals or whatever it is right um but she should not be a physical presence so it's hard to like leave environmental clues mm-hmm. my big thing would be like i bet she comes during an eclipse like that's the thing okay yeah it's the height of her power kind of thing yeah like like i would have a ticking clock in my world to say we know the diviner or the um the what's the gravity wizard from um critical role like whatever it is they know that the eclipse is going to happen on this day that is when the ritual is going to happen we have until then to stop it okay hmm. cool megan um i feel like to to play off the idea that of course we're not going to bring her into the world right away if she jumped in of course like no light the stars are gone or, like the lights are gone but if you're going to look at like the cultists and running into them and what it does to the environment what they do to the environment it's going to be super quiet they're going to be very hush hush Mm-hmm. everyone whispers so if you walk into a meeting room with some of their cultists or you're in the town and you speak too loudly you get shushed you are in a constant state of i am in a library um and it's because everyone is hoping that at some point in time they'll heal the whispers of the person that they're like you know worshiping so not only is it dark and dreary and all the lights go off at certain times but like it's quiet you can hear a pin drop at any moment okay 
So your barbarian is going to have a hard time and your bard is going to yeah. be like, but what I want to say, like, no, you can't. Shh. Yeah. <laughs> it shuts your bard up real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring that bad mojo down on us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, for me, I would, if I was going to hint at her being around, I would have the party doing a lot of uh, doubling up in terms of going back to cities and towns, to places they've been. And so that they can see the slow progression of her influence as it spreads, right? So, you know, they might start in a town and everybody's very friendly, bubbly. Oh yeah, please let me help you. Yeah, of course you can have a discount. Oh, you guys are great customers. We love you. Please come back again. And then the next time they're in town, everybody's a little more suspicious of them. You know, they're not as open. People are keeping their eyes down. Um, there's not a lot of talking on the street. Quiet is a good one. I really like the idea of using a lot of quiet. Um, but yeah, I no love, real. I love the idea of them going into town and being like, hey, where's the magic shop? And everyone's like, well, are you fucking crazy? Yeah. We, we don't have one of those. Yeah, we don't speak about that anymore. Uh, that's a good one too. Yeah, but just, it, it would be like a slow progression, a slow burn of seeing I want the party to like question, like, why is everybody so different? Why is what's going on here? You know, because your party didn't necessarily, the party didn't necessarily do anything to deserve the suspicion, but clearly something is influencing them. So I've got a question just really quickly um, to throw in here. She's all about shadow and mist, right? If you travel to the ethereal plane or you have dark vision, what do you see? Eye holes. <laughs> Like, there's nothing actually there. It's just an absence of anything except glowing eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or just the same. You would see it. Doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I, I'm I, cool with either. I would be w weird about it. Have her be just a little bit more ethereal. Like, you, like she is made of the swirling shadow, so you can see through her sometimes. Yeah. Right? As, as the mists change. But actually, I'm thinking now, do you think that, like, the evidence that her cultists have been around is the fact that you'd find a bunch of dead wands? I bet these are the only cultists that don't cast spells. Yeah. Mm, Maybe. I mean, because it says that, you know, they're mostly malevolent warlocks and mad wizards, right? Yeah, but I think that's the that's what they sacrifice is magic, right? And they don't cast it. Like, the, they want to know this one thing, and it's always about power or revenge or something. But they are they're loath to cast regular normal magic. They get like this one piece of secret arcane knowledge. But she's all about sucking up magic and eating magic and destroying magic and and whatnot. And so it's just an interesting dichotomy. And I like the idea of the cultists always just using blades, right? And it isn't until you get to the cult leaders, they're the ones that have that one magical thing they can do. Yeah. So kind of like offerings, right? Like instead of yeah. you know, offering a virgin sacrifice, they're offering wands. Yeah. Powerful magical spell scrolls. Yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a cool idea. Uh, how about strategies for combat? Um, fly up and hit with your arcane blast four times in a round, right? Like all of her shit that's distance is 60 feet, 120 feet, 120 feet. Why are you getting close to shit? Or one mile? Like, don't, yeah. you, are, you are not a close range. You have fireball, you have lightning bolt, you have chain lightning, you have power word kill. You're not within arm's reach. Like, yeah, you shouldn't be, ever. You go up and find the darkness. I'm really, really, really shocked that she does not have any bonus at all 
to stealth and she doesn't have any of that like invisible in dim or or like dim light or darkness like, yeah. that really feels like she should have that and i would throw that in there yeah i would too like forces like and like the beginning of the battle they're shrouded in darkness and like they're the goal is to, like light some light to find some shadows to be able to see her right yeah. i would throw the sun sword into my campaign you know, because, oh, yeah, we found this thing and it operates like a lightsaber. We're going to do this. We all played Curse of Strahd. We're going to, here's the Sun Sword again. We're going to go fight her. And then she just like dispel magic. <laughs> I don't know what that's like. Blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, honestly, that's my thing with, with Counterspell um, and, uh, and Dispel Magic there. I'm just going to start taking away the power of the players, right? Yeah. I've got 700 fucking hit points and I'm resistant or immune to a bunch of shit. I'm just going to start picking off all of your magic shit. So you are just down to whatever you have left. And the first thing I'm going to hit you, the first thing I'm going to hit is your arcane focus, dispel magic. What else you got? Yeah. Hmm. Megan? Um, I like playing on like the crowd control that we kind of talked about with uh, Rakdos and the fact that there's going to be sacrificial lambs. Looking at yeah. her maddening secrets, I would definitely pop that off too. Like she would definitely target like creatures that are within the room or the realm. And then like her, like they're going to be willing to sacrifice themselves for her. And so they're yeah. going to like hear her voice and get super excited. And then all of a sudden this burst of energy, because they're all wizards and warlocks, right? Her followers. Yeah. So she's going to use that to her advantage and be like, protect me. Total you just you just you walked right up to it it's the i think it's brilliant okay so for anybody listening if you have a cult that worships something that has legendary actions use those legendary actions as layer actions for the cult before the creature is raised so you are level 14 and you're knocking out another cult meeting right and then maddening so suddenly someone has to make a save or they blow off doing 40 12 force damage with it to every creature within 30 feet they're like where the fuck did that come from I'm like, yeah. oh it's one of the layer actions and then later you see her doing this shit every round right like this is how you tie some of your themes together mechanically is you look at some of the the features or the legendary actions and you make that the layer actions of the minions yeah done i also imagine using maddening secrets as like a human bomb right She'll send in a minion and then cast Manning Secrets when it's in the middle of your party. Mm -hmm. Not even worrying about you. Just goodbye. Yeah. Uh, for me, I wouldn't use her in combat. I just, I don't see it going well. Also, I don't, I just, I don't picture her in combat. She is not going to do it. She's never going to get her own hands dirty when she can get somebody else to do it, right? So I would have it as, you know, you come, you're all ready for this final battle. And then all of a sudden, these innocent people come out of the woodwork because they have been driven insane by her secrets and told all these things about you and, you know, or have it had like, like, I don't, you said that she can't lie, but, you know, the truth can take a, a big, is a, can be a spectrum, right? So you can still, if you word a truth in the right way, you can make it seem like a lie, right? You and didn't. so I just yeah like your wife did not not love you yeah you know yeah something along that lines or you know like the or she can say you know these people have killed thousands you know all these um innocent people that were just trying to live their lives just trying to survive and then this party came in and just wiped them from the face of the earth so she turns a, like a whole town against you and she's just throwing all of these four hit point 
civilians at you what are you gonna do how is your reaction gonna be like that i like yeah i don't know i know i, I just she's a cat's paw kind of thing that's how i picture her yeah i that whole she doesn't lie thing is totally an adam original like that's not anywhere in the lore i'm just like the truth always cuts worse than than lies and uh and i would absolutely use it she because she's the keeper of secrets she will tell you uh, as much of the truth as she needs to to get you to do the thing yeah there's a reason they say in court the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth right because if you tell a half truth or you mix it up with lies then that truth gets really colored in different ways and i think that's a lot of fun yeah all right Sweet. cool awesome um, move, move i will Megan. i'm gonna get to talk about uh Ractal Kesh. They are one of the, the demon lord's childrens along with Katesh. So a lot of similar similarities in their backstory, but there's a couple of things that obviously are quite different. But before I can talk about him and his nonsense, I'm going to talk a little about what's called the Silver Flame, which you mentioned in a little bit when talking about Katesh. But I'll let a little bit more detail. Instead of going too far into it, it's like a wormhole of lore, because you really can with this kind of nonsense. Uh, here's a little bit of like the Cole's notes of it. So as mentioned, uh, Rak Tolkesh was one of the demon lord children of Kyber, very much like Katesh, who rose to overthrow the reign of and reign over Eberron, as Adam described. And then, of course, the dragons and the, how did you say it? Coatl? Coatl. Coatl. So the sacrifice they made to seal them within, you know, their hells or what have you, was what ended up creating what's called the Silver Flame. That's what was able to actually like lock them in and trap them it was the only thing power enough to imprison them so this is obviously a wonderful idea because to explain rack is actually the overlord of fear war and death uh so the fact that he cannot reign over the world is a pretty good thing so and that's also fun to mention that he was not the only one uh along with uh katesh there's actually 30 other overlords that are bound uh with the silver flame uh, but what separates Rock is that he has his soul was actually entrapped within a dragon crystal called the kyber shards which is then described as being surrounded by the silver flame, and then it is shattered and scattered amongst the world. Oh, uh, so it's a puzzle. You got to put them back together. 100%. Mm -hmm. That's like your key, like, <laughs> that's your storyline right there. You know what I mean? Um, so again, these are spread around the land, and even though Rack can't physically impact the world, similar to Katesh, anywhere where a crystal exists, it affects the world. So he's kind of like inspired and influences with his wrathful existence where these crystals are. Megan, so, are you familiar with the idea of the dragon shards? No, not really. Do you want to pop off? Just just really quickly, Cole's Notes version. Um, there were the three progenitor dragons, which were um Sybaris, uh Kybar and or Kyber and um Eberron. Yep. Eberron, of course, is the land the and the world that we're on, and Kyber is the underworld, so Sybaris is is the I think moon, um, and a bunch of the stars and, and like the heavens essentially. So when the when all this happened, uh, they broke up into a bunch of different shards, and so um, these shards are magical artifacts that you can use in different ways to either charge up magical um, machines or contraptions. You can use them as spellcasting foci. You can use them as uh, spell components, but they're just these magical shards that exist. They're scattered all over Eberron, but there's depending on which color you get. It represents one of the three dragons, you know, the good one, the neutral one, and the evil one. Mm -hmm. And so the Kyber shards that you're talking about are the evil shards, and they house the souls. Some of them, not all of them. Some of them are just just dragon shards, but um, but some of them house the souls of 
uh, powerful dead or undead creatures, or in this case, a banished creature that technically exists in their own prison in the in the underworld. When we say like they're trapped in Kyber, it makes perfect sense. Kyber shards are part of existence and reality the same way that the realm of Kyber is as well. So there you go. Well, there you go. That's 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 them dragon shards. Um or would they, they they wouldn't all be covered in the silver flame though i'm assuming it's very specific to this one that is covered in the silver flame these ones i think the ones that are used to house the uh, overlords would mm-hmm. be because the silver flame didn't exist until the this big power move by the unnamed good guys where all the coattles died and then all of the these and then the silver flame came into existence right so that's yeah. all of this happened at once and i think they probably used the dragon shards in part of that ritual and that's why they're a part of this story makes sense all right well that being said you can probably assume that the followers and the cultists of you know um tolkesh would either have access to a shard or even carry one themselves or be looking for them right because they are imbued with his soul and his abilities and they can corrupt the world around them would you say that it's pretty often that they've sharded hey oh gross but it's gross (laughs) Get serious, Adam. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> this will be the episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and similar to Katesh, who had a very specific follower, so does Tolkesh. Uh, his main follower is an actual, is a Rakshasa by the name Mordekesh, uh, the Shadow Sword, uh, who is a part of the Lords of Dust and spreads the word of fear um, of Tolkesh across the land. So he also has a main leader and follower. But the other thing to main, like his other followers and cultists are going to be those that are banning for war. So there are a couple of like um, cults and lands and tribes that are all constantly in battle and in war. And they not, sometimes not knowingly are, you know, followers of uh, Tilkesh uh, because just because of the rage and wrath that they feel it's probably coming from either a shard that's the round or a someone who's leading them who worships this person. And by person, I mean, it's not a person at all. Cause when we look at what he looks like, he is actually almost draconic in nature, uh, but more gruesome and alien looking almost like a winged draconic centaur with long claw like hands and then weapons down his spine that are basically sheathed by his skin and body. I love that they stick out his chest and like underneath, like, He's impaled by these weapons. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he just kind of like his body is built from these swords. Um, And it's just a weird, it's a gross, gross image. So it's to the point where some groups actually that worship him call him the Horned Prince. Horned? Horned. All right. Well, I mean, that makes sense because like his head is like a human skull, but instead of eye sockets, he's got more horns. More horns. Uh, so ba- yeah, so basically it's literally just like straight out of nightmare. So nightmare fuel. Uh, and the other thing to consider that he's over 15 feet tall. <laughs> yeah. So big, scary, big, bad, evil guy. Uh, but looking at his stats, as mentioned, he's, he's a huge neutral evil fiend, uh, natural AC of 23, but if defending against ranged attacks, actually it's an AC of 25, uh, almost 500 hit point, hit pool, hit point, hit pool. What the fuck am I? Almost a 500 HP health pool uh, with a regular speed of 40, a climbing speed of 40, and a flying speed of 80. So he can do all kinds of mobile travel. Um, and I think that comes with the fact that he technically has four legs and two arms. Fair. <laughs> uh, his lowest stat is dex at 19, and his highest is strength at 29. 
with everything else kind of following falling in between. His save throws are strength, con, wisdom, and charisma, and is skilled in athletics at a whopping plus 17, plus intimidation and perception. He is resistant to cold, fire, lightning, and immune to poison, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical items. That seems very classic for these godlike creatures. Also immune to being charmed, exhausted, frightened, paralyzed, poisoned, and stunned. Uh, and he has true sight of up to 120 feet with a whopping passive perception of 24. How come your guy is immune to stun, but my guy isn't? Uh, that's not fair. That's it. I'm writing an angry letter to the editor. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I think uh, it's like the bat, the battle, right? Because you can't lose your head in the heat of battle and be stunned by anything. What do you uh, mean? Uh, yeah, okay. He's he's all about rage, right? Like he's just gonna yeah. power through the stun. Does that make sense? Yeah, he's like, fuck you. I'm stronger than you. Uh, he speaks all languages and has telepathy up to 120 feet. Uh, this is as seems like very pretty common with these big bad boys and girls, but it's always fun to note. And this brings him to a whopping CR of also 28. So talking about his special special items, uh, he has what's called deadly critical, which means he criticals on a 19 or 20 and also rolls damage three times instead of twice. Nice. He has innate spellcasting, not as much as our uh, Katesh friend, because he's not necessarily innately a wizard of any kind, but he uses charisma as his uh, spellcasting ability, and he can cast things like dispel magic, detect thoughts, and spiritual spirit guardians. And weirdly, once per day, he can cast smites. I assume this is with all of his weird swords. Uh, He has banishing smite, blinding smite, and staggering smite. You don't see a lot of NPCs with spirit guardians. No. It's it's a rare one. You get it normally with like clerics and stuff. So this feel like enemy clerics or angels or something. This feels very strange and very specific. Right? I feel but, like it's kind of like you're going into battle and thinking of like those weird ghost armies. Yeah. That's what he has. He has his own okay. small army that follows him around at all times. And that's what his spirit guardians are. That's kind of how I pictured it in my head. I like it. And also yeah. we can yeah, do yeah, this like an infinite amount of times. So. Yeah. So, and then the smites I imagine are because he's like got all these magical weapons that just surround him that he could just pull from, right? And that's where his smites come from. It's really cool that he's got mostly divine magic. Yeah. No, it's an interesting one. Um, That being said, along with his three per day legendary resistances, he also has magical resistance. So obviously that means uh, he has advantage on saving throws for magical attacks and effects. And then a weird special thing called Whirlwind of Weapons. This is what I mean by he's just kind of like has weapons floating around him on a regular basis. Um, What this is, is it's weapons around him in a 10 foot radius. And anyone starting their turn in this weapon aura takes 4d6 force damage. I love that. I'm sorry. I love that. That's fantastic. I know. And he's a melee attacker. Like he's going to be up in your business. So that being said, for his actions, he has a multi-attack similar to Katesh's where he can do up to four weapon attacks. So he can use uh, any of the spawned weapons on his body. He can either do ranged or melee. Uh, If he's using melee, it's a plus 17 to hit with a 3d12 plus 9 damage. If it's ranged, it's a plus 12 to hit with 3d8 plus 4 damage. Um, So yeah, he's getting up close and he's hitting you with all of his weapons. And then he's going to pop off his weapon aura because he's going to be all up in your space. Yeah, that Uh, mixed with the Spirit Guardians as well. So it reduces your speed by half mm -hmm. as well. So good luck fucking getting away. And he's dealing the weapon damage and his spirit guardians. Yeah, but like it's even worse than that because 
how many attacks is that? And he's going to crit on a 19 or 20. Yeah. Yep. You have a 10% chance of critting over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And then he rolls that damage three times. Which nine turns D12. that 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 3d12 plus 9 into 9d12 plus 9 yeah, on that yeah. hit. Of the one hit out of four. Yeah. 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 Um, and also he can use Shade Shape, similar to Katesh, so he can basically polymorph and... Uh, into any 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 being that he wants, maintaining the same kind of thing. So he maintains his hit points and hit dice, his languages, his proficiencies, his legendary resistances, and then his intelligence, wisdom, and charisma scores. Everything else takes the form of whatever he's taking. Um, I personally don't think he's going to do this. He loves who he is as, as a thing, and like, and he wants you to be scared of him. Yeah, like he's a thing of nightmares that wants you to recognize him. Anytime you see him. Worship me. But it's there if you want to use it or can find a creative way to use it. The only way that I'm going to do this is if I can get a movement speed that's faster than my 80 foot fly. So I can get into battle faster. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. All right. And but wait, there's more. Obviously, there are legendary actions. So he has attack, which basically just means he can use one of his attacks. He also has the ability to cast dispel magic. Or he has what's called Provoke Rage, which means each creature within 60 feet must succeed on a 24 wisdom save. On a fail, they will make one weapon attack against a random creature within reach. If not in reach of a of a, of a, a melee character, they will use a ranged attack, throwing their weapon if necessary. That's, that's fun. Yeah. yeah. And it has a plus four damage bonus on the attack. And is made with advantage. Yeah. That's... That's very Rakdos of him. Yeah. <laughs> it's so chaotic and battle-like of this man. But i that's probably one of my favorite ones, is the fact that, like, he's definitely, again, he's chaos, he's war, he's fear, so he's going to use all of these in one round in some way, shape, or yeah. form, or some kind of, like, you know, combination. But he's going to make you attack each other. He's going to fly in and get super close. He's going to hurt you with his aura and he's going to use his four attacks. He's going to crit once or twice. Like you are going to get smoked like and he's going to fucking love every second of it because he is in battle. Right. Yeah. But so that, my friends, is Raktal Kesh. All right. Well, let's get into some questions then. Roll a dice. Natural 20. What the fuck? 14. Uh, I complained like dozens of episodes ago about not having a brown die and then tyler showed up this was during lockdown and then tyler showed up and just dropped off brown dice at my house because he just had some you're the episode he's like here you go so then he dropped these off and i'm like what the shit is okay this is neat and so then i have been using them to roll and they never fail me i hate that I hate that for all of us. Yeah. You're, you're never allowed to bring them to d and I was going to say, you're never that. allowed to bring the brown dice to D&D. <laughs> Only if you're not DMing. Yeah. That's going to be my new threat. Don't make me bring the brown dice. Gross. All right. I guess you're first then. Yeah. What did you roll, Kyle? I rolled an eight. Oh, great. Love that. Okay. So you're, mm. you're first there, Adam. Um. Okay. What's the question? Uh, do you have a storyline for Rack Tolkash? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be really, really simple. The only way to kill him is to take all of his, uh, of his weapons away. And so you have to face him over and over and over because he's got whirling and swirling weapons all the time. The goal is to everybody grab as many as you can, and then we'll teleport the fuck out. We'll plane shift out. 
heal up and then track them down and do it again. And so then by the end of it, you pull out the last one. It's essentially, you know, the lion with the thorn in his paw. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it just depowers him the fuck down. Yeah. Um, I recently watched, uh, they came out with the One Piece uh, live action, like the anime to live action. And you watched that? I did. I yeah, I did. It's actually really well done. Uh, oh, yeah? But they do one battle where basically the evil big bad guy clown can separate his body into multiple pieces and attack you from a distance with like his hand and his head and his arms or whatever. They're all different pieces. So to beat him, they just locked each individual piece inside of a chest or inside of a box so that he couldn't reform. And he was just a head with little feet. And then <laughs> that's how they killed him because he could oh, die. God. So they just yeah. took away all of his body parts and left him as a head. All right. All right. <laughs> so now when you said that, that's all I could think about was taking all of these swords and trapping them and like like carving them into stone or wood or something so that he can't pull them back. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't that wasn't that Nathan Fillion's character in the latest Suicide Squad was his arms popped off and flew across a battlefield? I don't actually know. I can't yeah. answer that for you. Yeah, he died in like the first five minutes. Well, I mean, spoiler alert, they all fucking die except, like, the main six characters, which was... Megan, have you seen the latest one? Because it's fucking great. I have not, no. The first one is shit, and you don't need to watch it to see the second one, but the second one is your sense of humor in a lot of ways. You will enjoy it. It is... You don't have to be a fan of superhero shit to know that this thing is just, like, it's a send-up of the whole genre, and it's fucking wild. I I, I laughed out loud so many times. Fair enough. It was a pretty good movie. Mieka loved it, so... And she's not a superhero person. So there you go. Noted. Raving endorsement. Okay, so I like that idea of taking all the weapons away. But I, I'm also imagining, you know, the last one is like a sword stabbed through his back. And then you climb on. And it's just like the opposite of how you would normally kill someone. Instead of like sticking the sword through, you pull it out. And that's what kills it. Oh, like hilarious. maybe every one it's- of those swords he's plunged into his own body to plug the hole from a previous battle. So as oh. you pull out the swords... Like his his essence, or or you just start bleeding out of these. Oh, I love that. And yeah, so then, as cool. you go through the campaign, retrieving these swords, and there's got to be something like if you grab one and pull it out, you immediately take four levels of exhaustion. Like, oh shit, we gotta go. So you're not gonna mm-hmm. just scoop them all, right? So, but then you can just follow the bloody trail, right? And he's just getting angrier and angrier and angrier until you pull out the last one, and he just like sets sits down takes a deep sigh and is done yeah i was almost thinking like the like maybe he has been raised but he's not at full power because his all the swords have been removed from his body and so like Mm -hmm. cultists are wandering the wandering the lands looking for all of the swords and implanting them one by one making him stronger over time and so you go into these battles with these cultists and they just grab random weapons and run because they don't give a shit about what's happening or where mm-hmm. they are or you're quested and they, all they request is that they get the loot. They'll help you, but all they want is the, the loot, which is these random swords that you're randomly finding. And then oh. you, you find out at the end that you've been ra- you've been powering this fucking demon as they've been bringing these swords back to jam back into this man's body. Cool. I like that. Neat. do you think they hurt more with the swords in or the swords out i feel like swords in because he's angry all the time so it like fuels his rage the more pain he's in the more powerful he is yeah he's like that weird sadist who just constantly needs the pain to to fuel his power yeah yeah he and rakdos would be best friends it'd be a very unhealthy codependent relationship oh they're pen pals (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) 
And it's going to be really, really fucking weird, too. Yeah, I tortured a man today. Could you torture me tomorrow? Yeah, like, like can you put me on your schedule? That'd be great. Thanks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> When's the next time you're back in town? Yeah. You want to go have Daddy Rakdash and just subservient fucking Tukash? <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is the fucking secret that uh, Sul Katesh does not want to tell people. Yeah, it's the one oh. secret. Or, or when she tells you, it's like instant death. <laughs> That's her power word, kill. Yeah. <laughs> That's the maddening secret she whispers to everybody. I knew, I knew we'd eventually get to a storyline like this, and I'm happy yeah. that it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking stoked. All right. uh, Megan, did you have another storyline? Uh, the one that I had actually written originally episode um was just along the lines of remember how i mentioned there was more than just the the high demon lords that were basically banished and sheltered when the anyways so i'm feeling that like a lot of these demons were freed at one point and like Mm -hmm. that's the main storyline is that you have 10 or 12 whatever random demons that are just running amok on the land and then your group is tasked with just like just get rid of these little peon demons right but every single one that you send back is like slowly powering and fueling like the rest of like the demon lords to be like wanting to come back more, right? Oh, and it's like written into the draconic prophecy. It's written in there that if a certain number of, of the lords of dust die, then it could raise this one. But the lords of dust don't want to die. So as you go to kill them, there's like, let's say there's 12 of them. When you kill the ninth one, then the prophecy kicks off and the last three are like, you know what? Yeah. Okay. Come kill me. Here I am. Just like, but you have to use a sword. You kill that guy with, mm-hmm. you know, to fulfill the prophecy. So come get me. Right. And yeah. so then it's like a suicide run by the demons who are showing up and they're just like raging and big claws and flames and teeth and shit. And they run at you and they just like slap fight. They do one D four damage, one D four damage. <laughs> oh, you got me. And down he goes. And then the next seal has been broken right like then ah that's fun yeah that's fun i I love it i love a good council so if we use the like the dust folks i imagine that like the last five remaining again have that discussion at one council meeting being like should we just and then there's like (laughs) one big sacrifice planned and like Mm -hmm. that's what you suddenly are like shit we now need to stop them from sacrificing themselves because we fucked up these guys Mm. need to live (laughs) that's that's so much fun. Yeah. All right. I like that a lot. You're welcome. Uh, for me, I like the idea of him still being trapped in the shards. All right. Because he can, he basically exerts influence wherever shards are, makes people more violent, makes people more hateful. So his followers are going around and burying his shards in different towns around, trying to, you know, create war between typical allies and destabilized regions of anybody that might be powerful enough to stop them. So they'll go find, you know, the most powerful house in, I can't remember the name of like the main city that's in a big tall, sorry, Sharn. Yeah. So they'll go to Sharn and they'll start burying shards underneath the houses, the most powerful houses. So they start fighting against each other, you know, really trying to destabilize because he gets, power from it too right and so he is that's his way of gathering power while trying to kill the competition at the same time uh, i would also like slowly introduce him as the campaign builds you know like uh you for example you have a benevolent king as your party's patron and it goes you know 
it goes from him trying to mediate between factions to telling you to wipe all of them from the face of existence. Now that I say it out loud, it sounds exactly like the other one that I had for Soul Katesh. <laughs> Very similar. But I mean, there's only so yeah. much you could do with demon lords that are trapped, you know? <laughs> like... Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. How about socials? Do you have any hints for role playing for the DM, Adam? Well, I know that he understands all languages and he's got telepathy out to 120 feet. But I feel like we're mostly talking about roars. This is a guy whose body language is going to speak a fuck of a lot more than his actual mouth, right? So um, the word that they keep using in his lore is rage. So I don't expect you're going to get much more than just, I'm not going to do it. If Dave was here, he'd do it, screaming into the mic at the top of his lungs. But I'm not going to do it. We can just imagine I've done that now. But like, that's kind of what I, he's so alien looking right that i think the telepathy is less words and more intention mm-hmm. right it's gonna like, be like the it's gonna be the screams of war and it's not just one yeah. scream it's multiple right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like he makes the sound of someone dying for when he's sad mm-hmm. like 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 you hear the sounds of someone getting stabbed and then like exhaling their last breath i'm not sure he gets sad i think he just Different levels of rage. Yeah. yeah. The other interesting thing here is it says in the lore, you know, it's fear, greed, and hatred. I'm not getting a whole lot of greed off of this guy, but I, I, if there is greed, it's as far as role playing goes, it's going to be for weapons. Yeah. Right. Yep. Like, that's, New that's, fancy swords. Yeah. Yep. He's going to see your paladins and your warriors with their big fat swords, and he's going to make them chuck them so he can take them. It's. A, yeah. I just caught it as I was reading through it that like when he roars in rage new weapons are spawned from his body and they're called forth um, by the rage of war to slaughter all who dare to stand before him. So uh, all of that funky language aside, he's literally spawning swords out of his body, but there's got to be, I noticed in the art, it's all the same sword over and over and over again, different lengths. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, he wants other swords for his whirlwind or to replace the swords that he's got like sticking out of him already. Like I'll pull out this mundane one oh shit that's my storyline he's replacing the blades in his body with magical blades that imbue him with magic power-ups right so if if he pulls out this mundane one and puts in a plus two blade now he gets plus two to to hit right and plus two to damage and so as you remove the swords out of him he depowers yeah Mm. Mm -hmm. interesting there's so many party members are going to die with that. You want to make him more powerful than the CR twenty eight that he already is. Yeah, I look. Yeah, I, I'll get to it in my combat, but I've got an I've got an answer. I'm going to hit it from the player standpoint. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Megan, do you have any hints for role playing as a DM? Um, when talking about him specifically, I like Adam's little ruling. So I would I'm going to talk a little bit more about like their cultists. Would it be like to interact with them? I okay. would like to play on the fact that they, like, he as a person likes people to pit war against each other. Mm-hmm. And so that's what his cultists are going to do. They're going to trick you into having an argument. They're going to trick you and be tricksters in forcing you to fight each other. You want this? Fight to the death. You want this? Do that. Like, you're going to have to constantly be in battle if you are, like, there's if you go into a cultist town, like, where they, they live and they thrive, there's constant battles happening, constant arenas going forth. And sometimes maybe like there might be areas where people come specifically to fight in these battles to prove their worth because the strongest warriors will come here or be here. 
right? Or again, it's that sadistic side of like, I, I come here because I have a, a taste for I want to kill and I want to murder. So it's now a town full of murderers constantly fighting each other, yeah. right? So it, it, yeah, I would just, especially if there's a, one of the crystal shards in a certain space, mm-hmm. it's going to be a place where people flock to prove that they are the strongest warrior. And mm-hmm. for some reason, like, so if your, your group rocks up to this town, for some reason, everyone is hell bent on killing each other and proving that they're the strongest. Interesting. But, and, what if, and, sorry, go I was, ahead. I was going to say, and it's a thing of pride too. It's not like they're just killing the people in the streets for fun. They mm. want to be in the arena with the strongest warrior. Okay, cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Like, like a Coliseum kind of thing. And there's a shard buried in the very center. Yeah. And it's just pulling everybody there. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's really anything you can do to role play him. I don't think he has a lot of subtlety. There's not a lot going on. How intelligent is he, though? Yeah, it's wild because his intelligence is stacked. He's got a 21 in intelligence and a 22 yeah. in wisdom and a 26 in charisma. But I, I feel like that intelligence translates to battle tactics, hence the yeah. deadly critical, right? The mm-hmm. wisdom, you know, translates into the... Yeah, flanking um, like maneuvers. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. So all that, all that shit, right? So, like, intimidation is why his charisma is so high shit like that so yeah he's got the big mental stats and he's no dummy and he's going to be like the perfect general Mm -hmm. but he's not there calmly calmly barking orders he's just the most effective rage beast on the on the battlefield right yeah his only concern is when is the next fight who am i gonna fight how am i gonna win yeah and then he'll leave everything else up to his lord of dust yeah yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, Adam, how about strategies for combat? For combat, I mean, get get in there and mix it up. There's not a whole. Like, we're we're again in the melee, right? This is very much normally. I would say because the ranged weapons attacks are like 150 feet, right? With the plus 12 to hit and 3d8 plus four uh, force damage. You'll notice it's not piercing. It's not slashing. Even though it's swords, it's force damage. So these are almost like magically imbued weapons and he's just launching these fucking swords that are swirling around him he just puts his hands out and off they go right 150 yeah. to or 600 feet with this advantage so as much as like he can do that shit he's got the whirlwind he wants you in the whirlwind right mm-hmm. uh he wants to be able to smite and he only gets to do it three times um so i i he wants you within the radius of the spirit guardians he's getting in he's getting in he's mixing it up and he's going to probably you want to okay i would homebrew this that the um barbarian can't not rage that provoke rage costs three actions thing the legendary Mm -hmm. action the barbarian is disadvantage on that role and has to has to be raging and every time that they drop their rage, Rakhtal Kesh just gets right back in that radius again, and boof, your rage pops off again. I'm going to mm-hmm. burn through those barbarian rages. Yeah. Yeah, and I, exhaust I, them. Because I that... would almost, sorry, I would almost make it so it didn't cost a rage. Like, it's just, he never even leaves it. Just constantly, if you were anywhere within his mental pre- presence, it is constant, full bore, full tilt all the time. Uh, I don't know. I like the fact that it drops it so they can become exhausted over time. Like, I don't know. I do want to punish them at this level. If you're CR 28, right, you've got so much shit going on, but maybe destroying the thing that your entire class is based around might be a little bit too harsh. Yeah. 
Maybe it's like if you were to have this as the battle, they're supposed to lose. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they're supposed to lose it. And like, I would I would homebrew that for that just to show how powerful this being is. But you were supposed to lose. You know, sometimes I do that as a DM sometimes too. Battles are specific to be lost. I think that would be a fun warning for a, a raging barbarian to use their powers sparingly in these parts. But. Which, it, I'm trying to remember, it's one of the Barbarian subclasses, I think it gets infinite rages at level whatever. Is it mm. the Zealot, maybe? Good time. Yeah. No, they said that rage beyond death nonsense. I thought there was one where your your rage just goes and goes and goes. You get infinite ones or something. Mm-hmm. Berserker? Maybe I'm dreaming that from 3.5. So many dreams! Uh, Alright, Megan, do you have any other ideas for combat tactics? I would just use provoke rage as much as I can. I would pop it off every round. I don't care about what yeah. using an extra attack or using dispel magic. Fuck that. Every round I'm using all three points to provoke rage. Yeah. Every time. Every fucking time. Because I he would just fucking love watching people beat up beat each other up. Like Yeah. I I got to I got to say dispel magic is so underutilized. You know he's going to come in flying. And you know they're going to get whatever magic item that they can so they can get up there to fly. And he's just going to dispel magic. But he also, he wants their magical weapons, though, to add to his collection. So, like, he's going to use Provoke Rage for them to accidentally have to throw their magical weapon at someone and then pick it up. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm talking about their their magical non-weapons. So, right, like, like their, the artificer made me a jetpack. All right, dispel magic. (laughs) Your your plus three um, breastplate or your amazing magic shield that gives you resistance to everything or whatever. He's going to dispel magic, dispel magic, dispel magic. And I think he's going to wipe out. So he's got counter spell as a reaction for the spell casters, but he's got dispel magic for the actual um, melee guys. So if he's for whatever reason not in combat, I think that he's doing this fucking all the time. Yeah, he does. He doesn't have counter spell. Oh, no, he doesn't. Sorry, the other one. Mine did. The test does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So just dispel dispel magic over and over and over again. The fact that he's got detect thoughts is odd to me, but I mean he's an he's an overlord, so you might as well give him that, right? That's just same thing with the telepathy. I I, I feel like it's one of those things that he can use that to find out what will make you mad and what will provoke your rage. Yeah. I like that. He wants inside your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For me, for combat tactics, I would have it start off. He's using the change shape. He's in a bird form, whatever. And then he flies over your party and then just drops right in the middle of it. And then he is just going to fuck your shit up. I'm not going to use dispel magic because why am I going to waste a turn to dispel magic when I could use it to make four attacks? Seems like a waste to me. I <laughs> Adam's like, dispel magic. Kyle's like, never. <laughs> yeah. It, fuck that. It, I'll cast spirit guardians and the smites. And then I don't think you're going to have a chance for anything else. It'll be up in your business. I am now in love with the visual spirit guardians being this like worn and torn like army that just surrounds him. Yeah. I just want to take a step back though and, and say again, like he is an overlord. He rules like the hellscape with all of these devils that pray to him and these demons and shit. Like I bet he's got a throne room. If he is raised and you give him a month, and there's just war-torn shit everywhere, and he's wiped out the major cities and whatnot. I bet he has a, a fucking throne room. Oh, yeah. And, and that is his, like, influence over. So, like, if you walk up to find him, he will be pacing. He's never going to be truly settled or calm. 
but I'm not sure that he's like full blown attack, attack, attack. You know how most big bad evil guys, and he's going to be this is this is your capstone encounter again, right? Like it, most of them will have a monologue. He doesn't. He's going to just why are you here? Ah, you come to die, I see. And then your guys are monologuing, and that's when he's gonna dispel magic. We haven't rolled initiative yet. Dispel magic, right? Because he's going to take away that thing that that thing they think gives them the edge, and then he's gonna rage out and fuck them up. Yeah. You're right, okay. Kyle. You're absolutely right. He is not going to give up four weapon attacks while in initiative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Beforehand. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, for social, you know what I would do is I would only use Conan the Barbarian quotes. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I accept. <laughs> Come on, the lamentations of your women. See the enemies. Oh, what is it? What are the greatest things in life? Uh, to see your enemies driven before you. To hear the lamentations of their women and something else. I can't remember it, but that. And a hot chai latte. I again, the the nailed it. Nailed yeah. it, Adam. <laughs> I would just use any Arnold quotes. Like every once in a while, they'll pull out a sword and be like, "What's this?" He'd be like, "It's a tuma." <laughs> And then, you know, like, just just have some fucking fun with it. Make, make it big and scary Conan quotes for the first five or six, and then have yeah. it be from, like, Kindergarten Cop for the rest of it. Oh, my God. Okay, uh, I just as an aside, uh, so for Spirit Guardians, for him, I imagine it's going to be the souls of everybody he has ever killed. I like that. Ooh, that's cool. I like that. I like that a lot. Especially if he's killed some of your players' older characters. Oh, yeah, definitely. The, uh... The smites he's got two are pretty fun. Banishing, blinding, and staggering. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he only gets each one once, but I mean, blinding your enemy. Yeah, they're, they're built for like impairing you in battle, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. stopping you in your tracks and making you useless on the field. That's why like, I do think that he's a solid tactician, but it's it's not like he's sitting there having a big um, like war council meeting. Right. He's yeah. a solid tactician because he knows where everyone on the battlefield is when he is in the thick of it. Yeah. I mean, it helps that he's 15 feet tall. And as True said, over 120 feet. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. helps. A <laughs> little bit. A little bit. Uh, all right. Uh, all right. So before we wrap up this episode, let's cut to our last ad break. If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagements like that help us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. So just before we end this, I just wanted to ask, now that we have talked about these big scary things and the whispering in the mind and the the monsters that are storm like stomping around and shit have we changed our minds at all about that first question that i asked at the beginning about possession versus actual monsters no give me the demons (laughs) possession yeah possession possession scares me i want demons to walk this earth (laughs) oh no i can't fuck a possession (laughs) (laughs) i mean i could but like That'd be a good time for nobody involved. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for the true demons, not these fake demons. Uh, okay. <laughs> Let me romanticize my life, okay? <laughs> you go right ahead, Megan. Thank you. Uh, so am I going to be the one who has to ask it? What? Mary, fuck you. <gasps> <laughs>
Shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> okay, I have to actually look at this. Hold on here. Yeah. This is uh, really a no-brainer. Yeah, I think so too. But I don't know. I feel like my answer is going to be a little bit different from yours. Okay. Uh, Adam, start us off. What's your no-brainer? Well, the no-brainer is you. You marry Sol Katesh because she's got all the good tea on absolutely everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's going to be operating from the shadow most of the time. So, like, you can go ahead and play your video games. She's got other shit to do. Um, Big Daddy Rakdos is clearly there for the one-night stand, and he's going to be master of it, right? Yeah. And then um, Rak Tokesh. I can't see cuddling with all of those those blades coming out of them. You're not going to get close enough to have any sort of real romantic relationship. Uh, plus, I mean, his spirit guardians are always watching, and that I mean, unless you're into that. I mean, I, spirit guardians watching, and if you're into knife play, just saying. Um, <laughs> but go. my answer is actually the same. I would I would marry Katesh. I would kill Tokesh, and I would uh, fuck Rakdos. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think mine would be the same. You know. Uh, I think my big reason for, you know, just fucking Rakdos, a selfish lover for sure. You know, he's got to be the center of the limelight. I also, I'm, I'm also assuming and, that I'm going to survive that night with Rakdos as well. Oh, yeah, that's it. I feel like that's a given with the situation. Okay. Yeah. And then also, Soul. Oh, man. What is it? Soul. Katesh. Soul Katesh. Yeah. Uh, will know everything you like. You know, it's got oh, all. Yeah. It's true. And here we go with that chain shape again. Never yeah. hurts. <laughs> Never a problem. <laughs> I mean, it can be a problem depending on what you change it to. But you know, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to yuck somebody's yum. So <laughs> turns into Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> again, knife play. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's all for the second half of our discussion on Fiendish Overlords in D&D 5th Edition. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we have for you in the future. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch and a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits. And don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. Every time I see that, I want to click leave meeting. <laughs> you guys got a pop up? Because I don't. I I'm always the one that hits record on this computer or on the cloud or whatever, and then it just says recording in progress, and everybody else just kind of like looks blankly at me for a minute. I'm yeah, you're hitting a pop up. Yeah, it's a pop up that just asks yeah. if you are okay with being recorded. Okay. Yeah, it just gives you a warning. Well, that's good. I like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, total sidebar. Episode two hundred and fifty. I know, right? Fuck, I don't even believe it. Yeah. To think of all of the bodies we've had to step over on the way to get here. Mm-hmm. Good God. I, I, Every once in a while, I look at the cast list of like, oh, who's on episodes and whatnot. And now, of course, we've got Undead blowing up. We've got Steve on L5R. And there's like 20 people, 20 voices on this now. Mm-hmm. And I'm blown away. 
when I the first the very first episode I ever recorded was just me and Dan, and now I found eighteen other people that I like better than Dan. Solid number, yeah. <laughs> eighteen other suckers. <laughs> That's in company excluded, of course. Uh, oh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> It's Adam Salt. What is about? Oh, it's your water bottle. I thought there was somebody beside you. And I'm like, why are you not addressing the ghost standing beside you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, because you guys blur your backgrounds, right? Yeah, I do for yeah. work. Yeah. I didn't think it was a water bottle. I just saw Kyle turn his head and something blurred out, but very large was just like pointed towards his face for a moment. I'm like, okay. All right. Thanks. It's Kyle. my Chucky doll. Chucky's not a bad answer for the cold open. No. Question? I. I like Chucky. So many nightmares as a kid from Chucky. Really? I didn't even see the movie. I just saw the commercial and it freaked me the fuck out. I'm I'm I like sorry. It. I I yeah, I'm sorry, but you just reminded me of my total blind spot. This was my real answer right from the beginning for the cold open. What's my favorite horror movie villain? Pennywise. I was about to say that that was what made me afraid of clowns for a while. Everybody, like, everybody. Just- that movie Him i was curve. not i was not old enough to understand that movie period i just saw creepy clown and i said fuck this never watching it again it wasn't until my adulthood when they remastered it that i went back and rewatched it because i just did not have the ball sack to do it so yeah that opening scene where he's in the sewer and the kid he's like come on in just reach your hand inside and then yeah, he great like, idea. grows the teeth yeah nightmare fuel solid idea love it <laughs> <laughs> Now, before we start this, uh, we're going to kit, cut to a quick ad break. We're going to kit to a quick cut ad break. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Before we get any deeper into this, let's cut to a quick ad break. <laughs> we're going to have a break of a Kit Kat. <laughs> hey, you know what? You're on fire today. I <laughs> appreciate being made fun of for my speech and bed event. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great work, Kyle. <laughs> Hashtag killing it absolutely killing him oh also okay. adam i think i read a, i think i read a book that was almost identical to the one you're talking about it was called johnny got his gun and oh. it's a world war one account where a guy gets blown up by an artillery shell and he loses his arms legs mouth nose eyes all of it and it's just him laying in a hospital bed and it's like his interaction his only human interaction is like the nurses who come and like flip him over and like wipe him down and stuff like that and he can like feel the time of the day based on like the s- uh, the sun on his skin that's really that's to- that's totally the one you're absolutely right that is the one i was thinking of that's not the the mine is uh, science fiction you're right i was wrong i'll remember like, that forever what a solid correction <laughs> yeah, yeah so like real solid i went through a really like dark like really dark literature phase and i was just consuming novels for about six or eight months and a lot of them are blurred together in very unfortunate ways. Yeah, I think know. that that bug like sticks out in my mind because it was just so fucked. I think I would read it when I was like 16, too. And it was yeah. emotionally jarring. What was it actually called? Uh, Johnny Got His Gun. Excuse my typing. Just going to type that out for myself. Just just asking for a friend. That's fine. Well, if you're doing that, then you should also read Flowers for Algernon because those two, those two are my my destroy my soul books. Love destroying the souls of men. <laughs> I never claimed to be a man. Boy? Yeah, I'm a boy. I'm a child. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're a puppet in a skin suit. 
I'm actually a puppet within my own skeleton. Skeleton is the puppet of the marionette. Oh, gross, stop it. <laughs> hey, you want to know something else is gross before we get this thing back on the road, Megan? If you stop and think about it right now, everybody's skeleton is wet. Yeah, that's why I don't like thinking about people's skeletons. I'm not going to lie to you. There's a reason why I won't eat chicken off the bone. And there's a reason why I don't like eat meats off of bones. It's because uh, I fucking hate it. No, no wet bones, huh? No wet bones dry like the desert <laughs> okay see i are bones wet yeah. moist 100 I mean, they're moist yeah i guess there's cartilage in there oh no yeah, they're moist. I mean, like oh uh, you know what you know what i don't want to continue there's like there's like any further bone marrow on the inside that keeps it moist from the inside and then there's other shit around it that keeps the rest of it moist it's just moisture all around like it oh, just so they're like jelly donuts <laughs> i do a whole undead series and i just cannot fucking handle skeletons really good yeah. to know i hate them anyways let's get started here uh i do love a good assless chap i don't know why we have to call them assless because all chaps are assless but that's uh, fine <laughs> it, is, it is such a fucking redundant term <laughs> Oh, ugly. <laughs>